This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast, and we have a great episode for you today. Um, in today's show, we visit three amazing people. Um, two of them are in person. Uh, one of them I recorded a few weeks back. Um, Danny Reyes Acosta, who is a mountain athlete, uh, is on the show, also formerly from work marketing for Nike, um, and is now kind of taking on a life of her own. She's amazing. Got to hang out with her a bunch. Actually went to Diplo with her and a bunch of other people as well. Um, at Red Rocks, which was a blast. Uh, she's amazing. And, and I think you'll get that within a few minutes of listening to this conversation with her. Um, Peter Arlene from Mountain Flow Eco Wax. I got to spend some time with, uh, as well this week. So we have a conversation with him, talk about his product, what's different, why it's so much better for the environment than, uh, your traditional waxes. Um, and then we talked to Christian Avery, which is a gear talk episode. That episode, uh, I've had for a couple weeks, but, um, I kind of was waiting to partner with some of the right episodes. So, um, that one's rad. It's like, we talk about everything from the new blizzard hustle series to the new peak boot from Technica. Um, we, we really kind of get into the weeds on this one, but, we talk, we even talk about some of the things that he feels they could have done better. And, you know, some of the things that have kind of like, I don't know, needed to change and have changed next year's line. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoy that conversation. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff going on right now. Uh, we, obviously we're just at outdoor retailer for the week. So check that out. Um, if you haven't seen any of our coverage, we also have like a small recap article. Um, we have videos that are posted on outdoor retailers, um, outdoor retailers site. Um, if you want to read the article, by the way, it's just at the out of podcast site, um, or on new schoolers either way. Um, so there's that Adam X is kind of taken on a life of his own. He basically just went out there and stuck a mic at everybody's face uh, for the entirety of the show. Um, and there's a really funny YouTube clip, um, or video actually, cause it's four minutes long of him asking people what their tin settings are and, uh, Shrek one or Shrek the musical. And it, it's, it's his element. It's him in prime prime form um so if you want to learn a little more about adam x and who he really is like that i think this video does it uh, you can get that on our youtube page um and the last thing that we'll plug for today um is we have a new sponsor um the show sponsored by the lovely people at spot insurance this was a sponsor that i reached out to um and they're great so i mean let's face it if you're active the risk of injury is always present um, we all push ourselves too hard and basically that ends up meaning we're at risk. Um, more time away from doing the things that we love, potentially more medical expenses, right? Um, that's what everybody's worried about. Um, sorry if I sound smoked during this ad read, by the way, because like we just skied all day. We're in Tahoe right now and I am cooked. Um, but Spot partners with ski resorts like Telluride and Taos, organizations like USA Cycling and events like Red Bull Last Stand um, to offer injury insurance, with lift tickets, memberships, race registrations, all that kind of stuff. Um, basically, they sell it as an add-on, um, or you can just sell a blanket partnership, uh, however you want to work it. If you have an event, um, it's awesome to be able to offer insurance for 
your guests and participants. Um, you never want to see someone get hurt, but if they do, you want to know that they're covered. Um, and Spot's an awesome way to do that. Um, Spot has you covered. Peace of mind is everything in outdoor sports, and I think we all know that. Um, learn more at www.outofbounds.getspot.com, and that's www.outofbounds.getspot.com. Um, I hope you guys enjoy these episodes, and without further ado, uh, here is Danny Reyes Acosta. Danny, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go from there. Sounds good. I am Danny Reyes Acosta. I'm based in Southwest Colorado, which is on Ute and Pueblo land, and I'm a splitboard mountaineer, um, well, uh, climber, mountain runner, storyteller, strategist, and activist. Okay. What do you do? Like, what do you do? actually like if you simplify it down to like so i can understand what you do yeah um my work is layered um i think a big so i come from a marketing background um, but a big part of my work is centered on connecting the next generation of leaders to themselves and nature to stem the rising tide of the sixth mass extinction because we're fucking in it right now man <laughs> i love that answer <laughs> so the work looks the work looks uh, different depending upon the season. So I'm paid as a professional athlete, primarily as a snow sports athlete, um, but also as a runner and a climber. Um, I also do a fair amount of storytelling, so documentary and filmmaking, um, some written word, I do a little bit of creative consulting, um, and then some strategic advising in the marketing space and brand strategy space. Okay. And a little bit of public speaking here and there to talk about the things <laughs> that are super important to me. Okay, what are some of those things? Like that that's kind of the, kind of what I want to get into with you. It's like what what's yeah. important to you and like what if you had like brand pillars as an athlete, like what yeah. what do those look like? Oh yeah. Well, have you seen the PowerPoint? I have seen the PowerPoint in the picture. <laughs> I have not. I like she said she's the first one ever that I'm like, okay, like let's talk, we'll have an interview, and like she sent me all of the information, detailed and organized, and it's like right it's right there. Like and everybody else was it. just like, go find it. Oh. I looked at it. I sort of kind of looked at it. I gave you six hours of preparation. Yeah, I know. There was I found out like a minute ago. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. <laughs> That's it. I'm leaving. <laughs> happy to be here. So, um, you know, I thank you for asking about brand pillars. Yes. Right. Um, you know, so my work is, I, I would say, um, you want the pillars or you want the story first? Story first. The story first. So I backed into the athlete space um, and really embraced the storytelling space um, after being a corporate nerd for years, as my friend calls it. Um, and kind of working in-house and consulting. And it was really, uh, I guess, so I, I was at Nike, I quit in 2014, went on a little bit more than a year long sabbatical, yes. uh, and did this whole thing of like eat, play, love. So I didn't really know that dirtbagging existed. I just bought a car and wanted to be snowboarding and surfing and hiking and doing all these things as much as I possibly could, mm -hmm. um, and really, <clears throat> orienting to values that I'd been raised with but hadn't been able to embrace in my adulthood because I'd been focused on the corporate game and making money and making my parents happy and making people proud. And it was a series of events focused around toxic relationship, um, a job that wasn't right for me and wanting to move out of a house in Portland that finally prompted me to buy that one-way ticket. And so where that ended up putting me 
after a year of traveling, this is obviously the nutshell version, was realizing how important and how um, impactful stories of place and people and connection to land and heritage really were for me personally, as well as to the communities that I was traveling. Um, and it took uh, a couple of years, so between 2014 to really, gosh, this is so long ago. Am I getting old? It happens fast. <laughs> I, like, in an intro the other day, did say it was 2020 still, and I was like, oh, no, God. It's 2022. That was, like, eight years ago. Uh -huh. Well, it was really only about um, three and a half years ago that I developed this sort of vision of this next-gen work that, that, like, had me, you know, kind of stop doing big contract work. Like, I was contracting with Vail, for example, mm. um, which I'm sure we'll probably get into. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Um, doing, yeah, doing brand strategy work. And when that contract ended, I was like, I have these gifts of storytelling and creating change. Because my background is in not just in marketing, but it's also in change management okay. and human-centered design. So that's like specifically creating stories and campaigns around things that matter. Mm. Um, well, in my opinion, that's, what, I, that's what matter to me, right? Um, but obviously before I was doing them around values that matter to companies. Um, and so I basically kind of took my approach that I had learned from these big companies and applied it to my own nefarious purposes, <laughs> which is getting more people outside, creating communities and, and supporting people in their journey towards emotional and physical resilience. That's great. I mean, that was yeah. like, that was <laughs> like, that was as clean as it could have been. I think like, that's like, that, that's <laughs> awesome. Is this in your PowerPoint? Is that <laughs> no, no, it's just burned into my eyes. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think it's cool that you differentiated the, like working for a brand versus like what I care about or what you care about. Cause it's, I think people think they're doing something good maybe, and maybe mm -hmm. they are, but yeah. maybe it's not what they want to be doing necessarily right. sure it's also a little bit of like soul selling sometimes right where you're like you're kind of doing stuff that's not necessarily like who you are and you're like but mm. i want the money i want the contract i want the job and i want the clout that comes with the job sometimes right so like you end right. up doing things that you don't totally agree with or like it it just it's part of it totally and i think that i mean what you're speaking to is i think something i know i certainly still grapple with in the athlete space or in finding the sponsors for film or, or whatever, right? I mean, no matter where you are, whether you're in-house or you're an athlete or you're a freelancer, right? Deciding whose money to accept is, is in some ways can be either a condonement of their, of their values directly, right? Like that's called voting with your dollar, mm -hmm. but it's also called voting with your time. And I uh, didn't necessarily choose to, I mean, I did choose to ultimately leave Nike, but there were some other things going on in my life, both professional and non-professional, that pushed me to that decision. And so I grappled for a long time and got pressure from my family to go back to that corporate environment. And it was super hard, mm. but it pushed me to a place now, you know, eight years later where I'm realizing like, I only want to be in business and creating partnerships with people and organizations that are 100% brand aligned. When I say brand aligned, I mean yes, me, the personal brand. But like, if their if their brand values don't echo or resonate in some way with something I want to see in the world, I'm not going to take your fucking money. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, it's it's a it's hard refreshing. thing. It's, it is. It's really hard to do. Like, it's. Uh, I think we struggle with it. Like, I'm sure everybody struggles with it to For some sure. extent. Where you're like, is it worth taking this? Like, is it worth selling out, so well, to speak, on the values that you hold so close, right? I think it gets easier as you grow. 
Mm-hmm. Like your first year doing like being, oh. you're like, I need, I, you need to survive. For sure. So like, you might want to take some dollars that you might not necessarily align with. And I did it, yeah. right? Like I was only, I think like, I think I've only like started to have a consistent income really in the last, I don't know, well, since George Floyd died or was murdered, people were like, oh, actually, we should be spending money on brown and black and minority and women-owned businesses. Does and that make you feel some type of way? Can I, like, can I oh. ask you that? Like, because I, I, I only ask this because, like, they, so, like, Vail contacted me a while ago and was like, hey, uh, you're an Arab American. Like, what do you think we need to do to get more people like you on the Hill? And I'm like, mm. why am I the only example that you guys reached out to, like, right. as your, like... <laughs> And I didn't even think about it like this from my, at first I was like, okay, they value my opinion. And then I got a message from a buddy and was like, you know, they're just using you to like, just be like, this guy thinks that this is a good idea. Right. right? Which then, sidebar, thank you, buddy. And also like, that's not helpful right. to like, I've had friends say things like that to me. They're like, oh, well, like maybe you're just sponsored because you're a brown woman. I'm like, that's really demeans everything <clears throat> else that I do and minimizes my accomplishments, my merit, my qualifications, my right. aspirations. So like... To all the friends out there that are well-meaning, please don't say those things to your underrepresented friends because it's yeah. not helpful. Well, and I don't think this person meant it in a bad way at all. And I know they didn't mean it in a bad way. Like, they were actually like, I believe in what you do. Mm-hmm. Don't let them take advantage of you is more what the advice was, right? Gotcha, gotcha. So, like, it wasn't that situation exactly, and it's somebody that I respect very much. So it's not – it wasn't like they were <laughs> They were like, oh, you only got this <laughs> ask. But he was like, be careful to not get it taken advantage of. So right. that's, I guess, kind of my question is yeah. do you feel that sometimes? Like, where brands are like – we want you mm. because of you, but right. we also may just want somebody else on our roster, right? Like, because that's mm-hmm. that's a hard thing. Like, and there's a really fine line between wanting somebody mm. that is of color on your, on your program for that reason or mm-hmm. because of who they are, right? right? So, like, how do you balance that? How do you balance that? I mean, I think it's it comes down to discernment, right? When right. all of these opportunities were thrown at people from underrepresented groups in the last couple of years... Um, I think a lot of us were operating with a scarcity mindset. And I think a lot of people still do, right? Like, if I don't take this, I'm going to lose this opportunity. Or if I don't take this, I won't get what I blah, 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 right? I mean, we don't even need to have the conversation about gear versus money because that's so level one that you shouldn't be giving. That's I've said it 5,000 times. People yeah. understand like, my whole bit. I'm yeah. like, my whole bit is like, you take gear for free and like, they're using you in marketing. Literally, yeah. it's like, like, I don't have any other ones. And that's that, like, that one is that, one. like, yeah, that's definitely yeah. in the top. So. It is. It is. Thank you. And I appreciate that you bring, bring that home. So I'll, we'll, we'll put that, everyone, please go listen to the other podcast. Yes. You know, there, you know, as far as I think the discernment piece, it really comes down to thinking like, knowing what an individ- you as an individual contributor, whether you're a creative or an athlete or a model or a podcaster, like whatever your role is or you aspire to have your role be, knowing what you want out of a relationship because it's always a give and get. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we come back, if I you know rewind two years ago when all these opportunities were being thrown at people of color, like it was very frustrating to me who has you know 10 years of a business background to see friends being taken advantage of left and right. Right. You know, and have, you know, I had one experience in particular that was super tokenizing and really difficult, and I thought it was something else, and have that happen, and I was like, wow, that's a slap in the face, and I no longer work with that, work with that company, and, and that, I, in some ways, I'm grateful that it happened because it really forced me to discern 
why am I working with someone and are they in alignment with my values? Hmm. On the on the flip side of that, how does a brand approach that genuinely, right? Like, how, mm. because I don't know that brands always know how to go about it, right? Because it's a weird thing and mm. there's a lot of different types of marketing people out there and mm-hmm. some are like, we're gonna do what makes sense to the market right now and what people are asking for and if that means like, we put people of color and put different types of people out into the world, then we're going to do that. And they're doing it for that reason. And then some people are like, Oh, we fucked up like a long time. Let's make it right now. Mm -hmm. So how, how does a brand approach that from your eyes? Right. Well, I think that's the bandaid approach versus like the, the more, God, I don't want to get into a wound care metaphor. So let's move away from that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, is it a bandaid or is it a suture? (laughs) Are you you putting a plate in a pin? Sorry, I totally have not had major injuries in the last two years. Um, (laughs) um, You know, I think it comes down to what we were talking about yesterday, relationship building. Mm -hmm. And it comes down to a brand or someone running an Instagram, spending, spend 10 minutes researching someone, like look at their Instagram feeds, look at the link in their bios, like Google them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally, like Google them and then click some links. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's blatantly obvious, like that yeah. they had a meeting yesterday and now they're seeking, yeah. like whatever they're seeking at that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. But I think that's like, obviously I'm white male, I just shut up and listen during this conversation. <laughs> but that's all I can do is like learn. Like I don't deal with the same problems that you guys deal with. Mm-hmm. But it's it's funny that you just say Google it because it's true. Well, you can, but it's like they're pat. Like where? Okay, did Google this happen? Me, yeah. Like did it's this so happen? Easy. Like how long have they supported X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. or did they just do this yesterday because a world event happened? Right. Well, and I think like at, from the brand perspective, if you spend the time to Google someone's name or scroll through their feed or, you know, do like a minimum amount of research, right? Like that baseline research, you can learn so much about someone. And I mean, social media tells a lot about who a person is. So even if they don't have a lot of content on the interwebs, if they want to work with someone, they can still reach out to that brand, to that brand, to that person and say, Hey, I noticed that you're really into like sustainable crochet and uh, stamp collecting and like teleskiing. That's, I'm sorry. There's I'm not. one person on earth that is that, 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 that does those three things. Did you way. Google me? <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> How's that career going? It's, I'm here in the same room with you. That's, it's it's pretty working good. out. Pretty good. I mean, that does really point to the power of picking your niche. I know. That's it. It's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> Hold on. To that point, can I, can I drink my NA oh, craft yeah, beer and have it. a little sip here? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, that's yeah. like premium content right wow. there. Wow. How's the audio on Church. that? <laughs> I don't have anything. Oh, this one's good. <laughs> Isn't it good? Bo- do you want some water in a box um, that you can't really recycle because it's, it's colored kind of plastic? Um, anyway. Yeah, that's true. I do like hazy IPs. Okay, sorry. I'm not, no, that's all right. can't help that, it. Spawn con. <laughs> Damn it, Danny. Oh, um, great. So you I just put away my water bottle. So this is the closest beverage Um, (laughs) referring to yourself as a brand. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? Because you are like, you are your own personal brand. And I've talked about this with a lot of different people and a lot of different people have different takes. It's like in a way you're selling yourself. You're a marketing Mm -hmm. person, but a solo marketing person. It's like you're Mm -hmm. a solo marketing company just in one body, one brain Mm -hmm. with a, with your perspective basically. Right. So, 
I don't know, how do you approach that? How do you feel about that? And mm. is it weird to set boundaries that are like, I am on right now and yeah. I am working and I am not working. Like this is Danny working. This is Danny having a good time and fuck off if I'm having a good time. And like, because it's hard. It's really yeah, hard. For sure. I mean, hey, without getting political, if corporations can be people, why can't people be brands? It's a good fucking point. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah, tag that. <laughs> tag that. That's great. It's done. I mean, this is, it's really about setting boundaries, right? Like, um, for, our, for years, like, when I was in the South Amer- on the South America trip or even when I came back and was dirtbagging around the United States, like, before, I, and I was still contracting and doing creative work that, that wasn't necessarily values aligned, but I was kind of inching towards that, um, I like felt really dirty about Instagram. Like I've had mm. like all this and don't get me wrong. Like in some ways I think social media is, I mean, well, it's still toxic, but it get, the way that you'll engage with it can either feed that toxicity and like make you feel sick and lead to anxiety and all sorts of negative things. But mm. when you start to do- draw boundaries around like how you engage with it and your purposes with it, then it gives you that freedom to be who you are or to talk about the things that you want to talk about. So, excuse me, burpee to that point. <laughs> I don't mean- A burpee is an activity, by now. the way. Now, yeah. now, give me 10. I'm doing burpees for anyone listening. Welcome to OR, uh, winter 22. Plenty of space to do burpees in here. <laughs> That's actually what the show is about. Didn't you see the Social two Social distancing, p- that was the ad, right? Yeah, and burpees. And burpees. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> This episode is not sponsored by Antonio. We're going Show. CrossFit. No. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Fitness. Haven't you seen? Never mind. I'm going to try not talk smack because it was about to be funny, but a little salty. Okay. Uh, Pour the salt on us. Fitness, please. man. I don't know. Like, how do you have backcountry skiing without fitness? Obviously, CrossFit. Moving on. Bad joke. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It's an undeveloped joke that I need to spend time on. I like okay? it. I'm, I'm in it. I'm, I don't know. CrossFit is not real. It is. It, is it? There's like Olympics for it. I know. What? <laughs> yeah. It's called the CrossFit Olympics, though. Oh, you just <laughs> name it? <laughs> this is it the, just added I'm pretty Olympic. sure it's like... Well, this is an it's kind of cool, but I feel like they're always hurt. Well, yeah, it's like lifting and twisting. I mean, but think about... Do you do CrossFit? No. That's, I'm, I was like wondering, I can't, I can't like, that's the part Do of I the look joke stacked? you need to work on. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm really good at lifting and twisting at the same time. Yeah. Uh, that's how I hook huge cliffs. CrossFit. Um, well, I, I don't know. Brand John Collinson's ads keep uh, oh, targeting me on Instagram. Yeah, so I don't know if I'm supposed to do CrossFit or like just more twists or, or what's going on there, but. I don't know. I also, ooh, uh, I I'm not do, saying that. Never I need mind. to just um, do anything. Uh, <laughs> he's so shredded, but he's hurt always. Like, it's don't super say Super shredded. I, <laughs> he's super shredded. Okay, let's go don't back say, to the brand stuff. Yeah. Okay. You're being a brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At what day did you think, holy cow, I am a brand and I can do this? I didn't ever have that thought. And I still feel weird about saying that. But it's also like, yeah, yeah, that face. Are you nervous about it? Like, does it make you nervous? Because it makes me anxious. No. It doesn't make me anxious. It's a little weird, you know? How so? I think that when when we look at the separation between digital and analog life, I would hope that humans can be seen for their true humanity 
and not just for the archetypes and stereotypes that they represent, but because of the way that our brains work, right? Like you've talked about heuristics before, like humans. Heuristics. I don't know what that word means. Oh, do we have, can we talk about cognitive science later? Yes. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know what that word means. I'm stupid. Like I'm not smart. That's not true. You're a backcountry skier. No, not that much. I like, we live in the East Coast in backcountry ski. Yeah, you we get tux, hit by though. trees all the time. Yeah, like, but tux, they like, just tell us if it's safe, and we go one day a year in March, <laughs> and we talk about. They're like, "Can you ski?" And then they're like, "Avalanche danger, low." Like, and then you go and try uh, not to get hurt. Like, for twelve hours. <laughs> yeah. oh, that sounds hardcore. And don't ski any power. Have you skied tux before? No. You should come ski tux. There's it an event you. called Last Skier Standing, and it's snow uh, splitboarders are included too, oh. in two weeks, and you should do it. Like, that sh- sounds like a good way to break my knees. No, you do oh. 400 foot of vertical, but as long as you can. Last year they went for like 30. Hours. No, no, no. <laughs> 56 hours last year. 56 hours One nonstop. lap every no, hour. Yeah. Really? One lap an hour. It takes like 40 minutes to do a lap. Really? It's the most insane shit. Brody Levin's doing it now. That's why I'm really? fucking... It's like... It's, well, if Brody's doing it, we should do it. You have to do you it. You have to do it now. You're I did it before Brody. Brand. Brody, I did it before. Oh my, Brody, I'm going to come out there and I'm going to beat you. I'll beat the shit out of your I'm, brain. <laughs> I'm just joking. She's going to listen to this. Oh no, I'm going to get into big trouble. Sorry, Brody. Good luck. I believe in you. Is it hard to always be on brand? I think so, but I think it's like, like anything, uh, the less pressure you put on yourself, the easier it's going to be, you know, and it really comes down to, so like I was saying, the separation, like our perception of self, right, through digital and analog, like we never know what people think and we can always just hope to show up and be yeah. ourselves in this world, and I think that holds true for both social media as well as every other kind of, like, presence, right? whether that's physical or digital or, or anything in between. Holographic, for example, really important medium to look at. Yeah, VR. Um, yeah, we're, we're moving. Nice. We're huge in the Great. metaverse, I think. Oh, yeah. wow, that's I my think. next channel. I'm just joking. We should. We should all get <laughs> on the metaverse. <laughs> find no one there. We could crush. No, my, my point, like, I just want to encourage anyone, like, that's out there that's, like, because I talk to so many friends that are, like, I really love what you're talking about on social media, but, like, social media gives me so much anxiety, and I don't know how to do this, blah, blah, mm. blah. And I'm, like... Dude, it's really easy. You just pick like two things you care about and then you can talk about like those two things or pick one thing yeah. that you care about. And like the rest of it can be like mindless pow shots or whatever, you know, like, but have like, you have to decide that you have to care you, about something. Well, first you have to decide that you give a shit and then you have to say, okay, well the fact that I give a shit, like I'm actually going to talk about giving a shit mm. and shockingly, well, not shockingly, like once you start talking about the things you give a shit about, people will pay attention. For sure. And the really beautiful thing is that you'll learn that a lot more people in the world around you give a shit too. Mm. And you'll start to see your friend group change and you'll start to see the stories that you tell change. And like, it's pretty cool when you start giving a shit. I've definitely <laughs> noticed that. Like, I mean, I've noticed that with us. It's like the more that we talk about things that we actually like care about, care about, it's like, People are like, this is real. Like, this is what we engage with. It's like, that is that kind of thought, right? right? Which is crazy because social media is the fakest thing in the entire world. But you can put real shit out there and it'll still do really, really well. Mm. But you're almost like creating your own little safe space bubble by, mm. not, by just believing in what you believe in, which is kind of neat. Because mm-hmm. the internet's horrible. We all know it's that. Terrible. Social media can be the worst. Yeah. But like, if you just focus on negativity, that's what it feeds you. Mm-hmm. But like, we start talking about uh, like specifically Adam and like hats off, but like talks about mental health, like. But that's hard to talk about. But you start talking about, it, and then you get these DMs, and you see all these people who are like 
I feel this, which yeah. is just like, holy shit, I'm not alone, which seems right. so. And it helps me and it helps like, it helps somebody else. And the main thing is like when you do it and you're like, oh, I can make a difference in someone else's day by talking about like the, sh the hard shit that you do it like changes the way you look at your mm. own mental health totally. Like it, that's, at least for me, it's like, well, it, it's, it's... It's giving yourself permission. I can't, yeah. I think I it is, 100%. Yeah. Like, yeah. You have to give yourself permission to be a human. But it's hard to sometimes. Oh. So like, as stupid as that sounds, when you post something and everyone's like giving you like, yeah, I felt like shit today too. Or like, I didn't want to get up. And they're like, oh, I'm not alone, which is then like, you're more comfortable in your own head. Right. Maybe. I mean... Four formative words for my youth. There is no spoon. And what I mean by that, if Please you explain. reference, if you, <laughs> you were talking to me about builder bots, like, come on, the matrix, <laughs> the matrix, right? Like this, this like game of, and like the cage of our mind in Spanish, it's, uh, there's this really beautiful song by an um, Argentinian band called Inca Yuyo. And the song is like, es que hay que estar atento. So you have to pay attention. Si es que quieres salir del hombreje de, de tu hombreje mental. So it's like, if you want to escape the cage of your mind, you have to pay attention. Because all, mm. we're, otherwise we're it always... seems simple when you say it in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the song. <laughs> I mean, so things are pretty simple in Spanish. <laughs> it's a really beautiful distillation of some very complex concepts. No, that's it's beautiful. It really is, and it's it does seem simple, and it's not always simple. But. No, it's not. But like, I mean, the thing is, is like kind of like you were talking about sharing, like difficult things, yeah. right? And seeing how many more people come out. It's the same thing of like when we get caught in that trap of like this is hard. I don't want to talk about it, mm. or this is hard. Like, and I'm, you're only making it harder. And. I think that the key, at least for me, with my mental health to breaking out of that is to just, like, again, find one little, like, way to start talking about or sharing or connecting with people that are also trying to be human. Mm. <laughs> and not, yeah. You know? And not just pretend that we're not. Yeah. I oh, guess I, I always, yeah, I, I like that, too. But I, <laughs> I kind of just wonder, like, social media kind of creates this thing where you get to talk about it a lot and we all get to be activists in some way and we all mm. get to be like stand on our pillars and be like this is what I think mm. but how do you take it from talking about it to like being about it in real life every day like what does that action look like yeah and that's like Putting down that's what phone. I struggle <laughs> that's what I struggle with all the time it's like how can I act like I know I can talk on the internet I know I can talk on my but like how do you actually go do things right yeah so. two two words ski uphill just joking <laughs> I have all these weird little two to four letter word things. Life can't. Okay. No, I mean, I, I, again, okay, here's another phrase in Spanish for you. Los espacios ciudadales. So, like, the space is on the side, mm. right? Like, I think the outdoor industry is so, like, aggro, like, or not, well, yeah. traditionally very aggro, right? Like, yeah. adrenaline and aggro and, like, go hard, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And what we saw with the pandemic was that when people lose that processing time of like driving to work exactly. or like be, being in a space that's like something other than like constantly engaged, they like don't know what to do with those like spaces in between. And those, those spaces in between are those spaces on the side where we do our best processing, even if we don't realize it. So my only, my only point was like, seek out those spaces for silence right like and sometimes it's like the drive to the trailhead sometimes it's you know that like moment where you're like oh i'm like really breathing hard on this 
hike or whatever. But like, mm. instead of being so uncomfortable with it, like really trying to encourage yourself to just sit with that. Cause it's that sitting with it that, or I think you can start to wrap your minds around. Mm. Yeah. I mean, after shows like this or like the events where it's like social, I told you, like I'm, I'm a pretty introverted person naturally. Mm -hmm. This took forever for me to talk on a mic and like feel comfortable and like do this kind of thing and do media and walk around. Like, how do you feel about this and that and what Shrek and all like all this stuff. But like, <laughs> I, I've kind of started recently because I'm over engaging myself so much. Like I've, I've always heard people say, take quiet space, like take a minute and sit with yourself. And I never knew what that meant. Like I have no, I had no concept of what that meant. And lately, like since the pandemic, I'm like finding myself seeking 30 minutes to like, just like put everything aside and not be around anyone. And I need it. Like, and I never realized how badly I needed it until like recently. It's like, for sure. It's, I don't know. I feel like everybody might, I, I, but I have no clue. Right. Good. I, I think the pandemic was like, and I'm probably not a popular opinion, but like it forced everyone to just step back. And like, did and just kind of handle their own shit, maybe. Right. And like, or be alone with themselves, or like, like the world was fast, and it's still fast, mm -hmm. but like, it slowed down dramatically for a minute there, and like, mm -hmm. is one of the greatest things that ever happened. Unfortunately, like right. horrible, horrible, horrible things came out of that, and this we're still in it, but mm -hmm. like the fact that people were like, stay home, like. Be with your family. Be with your family. <laughs> start to, you start to realize what matters. Like yeah. you start to realize, like okay, is what I'm doing, and that's why so many people quit their jobs or like were like forced to leave their jobs, right? And then they were sat in a position where they're like, what do I actually want to do? And that's why right. so many new brands came out of this. Why so many new like companies, influencers, people like. That's why a lot of people haven't gone back to work. Exactly. Right. No. Because they were engaged in roles that were exploitative. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, that's it. I mean, my friends had <laughs> kids and they were like, I, I would have never gotten to share mm -hmm. these two years with my kid. Like, that would have been gone. It was a shocking thing. To, I mean, like, right. just the fact that you but say it was that normal. is crazy. But it was normal. Yeah. That's just yeah. what you did. Like, you right. provided. And well, like, you forced still... us to slow down. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, again, horrible. I'm not trying to discredit oh, the no, pandemic. No, no, but no like, for sure. Got, like, seeing the light in that was like, I don't have to do this. I don't have to say yes to this. I can kind of, like, make almost make it work right. my own way well and i think that speaks back to the bigger thing we were talking about like when i went to the south america thing or even like how do we engage with social media and it's it's really the fact that we have a choice to engage we we choose every single day how to engage with the world and if we take a second to make a conscious choice hmm. instead of just following what we think is the right thing to do based on what someone else told us is right or just continuing down a path without stopping to breathe like that's i mean that's how you end up lost in the woods i'd way rather be tacking towards a cool summit or yeah a beautiful place to camp than like bashing around <laughs> in the dark woods by myself <laughs> Better metaphor? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. So. No. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah, it's, it's weird. I'm. You're right though. Like I'm glad it slowed everything down for everybody. It's like my I use my dad as an example all the time because like when I grew up, I hardly saw him because he's like trying to make a ski shop work mm -hmm. as an immigrant that has no idea, doesn't belong in the industry at all, mm -hmm. like in the industry's eyes, right? So like 
I would see him at seven in the morning when he would leave and I'd see him at nine o'clock at night when he would get back. And like he yeah. did that for 20 something years. And then like the pandemic hit and he was like, you know what? I'm going to just show up when I fucking feel like it. Like I'm going to like do the work that I need to do, but like I'm going to chill. Like I'm going to take care of my health. Like I'm going to take care of like my family and like actually be around. It's like, right. but it takes that stop mm. for yeah. people to be like, it was forced. It's okay to just chill. Oh yeah. I mean, part of the, so I referenced like three things that pushed me down this path of yeah, yeah. quitting. I don't say quit. I graduated from corporate life. What's wrong with quitting? Uh, yeah, I don't think quitting's a bad word. People quit smoking. That's one of the best yeah. things they could do. Well, I remember I referenced the podcast that I had for one episode, and then I didn't want to do fix things in post. Mm -hmm. Our podcast was called Corporate Graduate. So, I don't know. I was, you want to host show I was on branding Fridays? my podcast. Do you want to host a show on Fridays? No. We have an empty slot. Uh, you, can take, uh, you can take Wednesdays, to be honest. I just don't have time to... <laughs> I don't know. Thank you. Thank you for the offer. Let's discuss. If you have There's an no interest in, in being a corporate it's, uh, graduate, free, please do reach out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Great. Thanks. This is the gear. <laughs> this is the gear. It's a couch from OR. It's been sat on by 500 bucks. <laughs> you might have to put it in your cart yourself. Good luck. Um, here's some beef sticks, too. <laughs> we get beef sticks? No. <laughs> Those guys aren't here this time. We got ripped. <laughs> No, I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, it was the same thing, right? Like, I, the role I was in at Nike wasn't right. Um, and I love that role, or I love that job. I learned so much, but it wasn't right. You know, I had this roommate that I was, like, not really psyched on my house, not really psyched on where I lived. Like, it just wasn't the community I wanted, but the relationship was really the thing that, like, mm. was the, mm, how should I say, like, the catalyst. You know, I was in this relationship that I thought was, I don't know, I, I thought it was, I thought it was like what I was supposed to be doing because this person was physically present and not really emotionally or mentally present. And, you know, fundamentally, this was really psychologically, um, super financially and occasionally physically abusive relationship, mm. you know, and it took a very severe incident for me to just be like, I can't do this anymore, you know? And I, like, like you were saying with the pandemic, am I, was it, was it fun to be in that thing of like, you know, for five years, like with this toxic stuff going on, blah, blah, blah. No, but in some ways it was a blessing because it taught me what I wanted. And it taught me that there are just some things that aren't right for me in my life. Do you think people now are too afraid of having hard experiences? Like, do you think, mm. and I feel like the, the, <laughs> That's catch, a good question. the catch, That's a great the, question. and the reason I'm asking is because like everybody in, in one point of view, the world is really soft. Like everybody is really sensitive about everything. Mm. The flip side of that is like being sensitive is fucking cool. Like it's a good thing to be sensitive sometimes, but mm -hmm. like, do you think that people are afraid to do the hard shit and like mm. go through the hard shit to be better? Because that's what happened. Like you have yeah. to do that sometimes. Like you have to go through shit that really sucks. Yeah. Great question. I thank you for asking that. I think, um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that I don't even really, I don't think people are even consciously fearful. I think their bias against discomfort is so deeply ingrained Hmm. that they shy away from difficult experiences because 
the American dream and particularly Western democracies have shown us that comfort and complacency and a house with 2.5 bedrooms and a white picket fence and two kids and a dog are where happiness and fulfillment come from, Mm. right? Like being uncomfortable and living outside of a suburb or walking to work instead of driving your car for five minutes. Like, I mean, we could come up with numerous ways that discomfort has been pushed out of our society and instead convenience and facility Mm -hmm. have been promoted, right? Like that's part of consumer capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But that's like, it's, it's hard because then it's like these products and things are created to make life easier. Right. So then Mm -hmm. like, because this stuff exists and they're good products and they probably help a lot of people, but, Mm -hmm. and I'm not necessarily even just talking about product, but like systems, transportation options, like this is, it's not limited to any one thing. Do you take that stuff away just to give yourself a harder experience? But like what, how do you get to that point where it's like, I'm, I need to make myself be uncomfortable or do you just like deal with the hard shit as it comes? I encourage people to not think of it as being uncomfortable. I think I'd encourage people to frame it as making a conscious choice to building their, maybe it's their physical fitness or making uh, an emotionally resilient choice, right? Like Hmm. when I started Backcountry's Gay like six years ago, I wasn't like, I'm going to solve all my emotional trauma by skiing (laughs) uphill, which is, please don't, that's not how you solve emotional trauma (laughs) and generational trauma. Uh, (laughs) Please go see a therapist. (laughs) But certainly moving your body is part of it, right? Like physical, and there's so many studies that can show how being physically engaged in the in the natural world lead to so many mental health and physical health benefits, right? So, again, it's I don't think it's like we take things away from people. I think people have to consciously choose, just like they did in this, you know, I don't want to say post-pandemic, but later in the pandemic yeah. <laughs> era of the world. Year three. Yeah, yeah. year three, where Maybe people are, 57. like, consciously choosing, right? Like, doing the job that's right for you, like shopping local because it's good for your community, you know, volunteering for a local nonprofit because you give a shit about, you know, kids or underrepresented people or the homeless or education or whatever, right? Like it really just comes down to, again, a conscious choice. And that's where I think all of us can vote with our time, right? Not just our dollar. Yeah, I like that concept of voting with time. But I also think, like, easier assumes better. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's the case. I agree. Like, just because it's easier doesn't mean it's For sure. So it's, like, as simple as, like, a cup of coffee. Keurig's easier. Tastes like ass. (laughs) That's true. A pour over and, like... good example. But, like, it's a simple... It's very... I'm simple-minded. But, like, like it's, like, just because it's easier doesn't mean it's better. And, like, it's as simple as that sometimes. And, obviously, it's way more complex. But, like, I think our culture has us like tricked into being like it's easier it's better right and it's not always the case most right. of the time it's not the case yeah even your ski touring like <laughs> uphill sucks it's hard <laughs> but it's amazing like i prefer i would never ride chairlift again if like i truly could find a way to do that every day mm-hmm. but like chairlift is easier the skiing's usually not better depends on the day usually <laughs> <laughs> but like it's like it's just a simple not as simple but i mean i think that's a sticker easier doesn't mean better or something 
We need a designer. Anybody can make stickers. Yeah, stickers yeah. are easy. Let's it's do like stickers. like half of our income last month. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, man. No, but no, I think you make a really, really important point of that. You know, and that's, I love the soundbite, right? Like, easier doesn't mean better. And sometimes easier is, is important, but sometimes it's not. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, like, you get to choose, right? Like, yeah, I love the Keurig. Yeah, that Keurig, that Keurig <laughs> description is so... I've been in hotels a lot this last month, um, traveling and such, and uh, a lot of Keurigs. Yeah. I kind of stopped drinking coffee. Yeah. Because it tastes terrible. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't even bother with it. I'm just like, I go I to the nearest place that has like yeah it's true though it's right i'm on that tea game man it's all about the tea tea tea's easy to travel with too mm-hmm. uh, it's good for you i'm not there i was drinking a lot of yerba for a minute like and honestly like i was just tweaking by like 11 like and it just like <laughs> the rest of decaf. my day was just like i know, i don't like decaf though like i, I you like have you ever seen tea. have you ever seen uh ted lasso yeah. Where he talks about it just being like dirty water. Like it's just like this is not, tea is like a made up thing. It's like Maybe you should get mud water. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to secretly this is sponsored by mud water. Mud water, no, I not. just sent you a deck. Please respond. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, a true story. <laughs> <laughs> but they put me on their mailing list and I'm like, no, I don't want to subscribe. <laughs> I want you to answer my email. I love that. I'm just asking for a stipend and two boxes a month. Yeah. Just joking. Four a month for all my friends. That's that's <laughs> and we're giving you a verbal contract. Fifty two right week now. contract. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks. Helpful. Um, so this is how you position yourself as a brand. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Always pitching. Can, can I ask you how your relationship with the outdoors has changed since you're positioning yourself as a brand? Like ha- oh, how yeah. how has that changed? <laughs> I don't think it really has, other than maybe I've uh, opened my eyes a little bit more. Okay. Um, and I, again, I have to go back to the fact that I don't think I've, I've really consciously, I'm, I'm (laughs) acquiescing that I am a brand, but I'm not like, I am a brand. I guess whatever. It's fine. I have a logo. I'm a brand. You have a logo. You have a better pitch deck than we fucking do. And we're a brand. Like, I don't know. Like it's, yeah, yeah, you're a brand. You know, you're a brand. She sent me two pitch decks. You might. Well, one's an athlete deck and one's. Oh yeah. People who don't have brands are like that. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yeah. If I call my mom right now, I'm sure her deck is ready to go. Yeah. (laughs) Mom, do you have a deck? No, but you are a brand because you know. Like, and she's like walks out the back door and it's like, I mean, I think my deck's still here. Patio or deck? <laughs> I mean, it's just a, it's like an extended portfolio with pictures. Okay, anyway, moving on. So, do I still feel a little weird about it? Yes. Um, <laughs> I think you know, going back to the idea of um, like opening my eyes, right? Like, I put on paper what I believe in. Yeah. You know, I articulated my three core values and how I'm transmuting that into work and uh, in like day-to-day work, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I realized that if I'm going to say like, these are the things I stand up, I wanna, I wanna believe in mm-hmm. and should be showing up for, then I need to be recognizing how I'm embodying those on a day-to-day basis. Mm or how I'm like not, right? Like if I say I value resilience, like as one of my core values, which is true, like 
if I'm like, I have a course called Equanimity Outdoors. And <laughs> pers this is probably too personal, but I remember my, my partner and I were having like a discussion, uh, <clears throat> heated discussion <laughs> with air quotes <laughs> a couple months ago. And he's like, you have a course called Equanimity. There's not very much equanimity happening right now. <laughs> and I was like, touche, sir. Right? Like, it's like, how are Check you? Checkmate, sure. <laughs> I was like, you're right. I don't have it all figured out. It's not all light and love. Or is that what they say? Love and light? You know, the it's light. That's what you say, so The it's love fine. and light it's people. Fine. They're the <laughs> original quote. Yeah. Uh, I'll make it not, a sticker. It's not all love and light, okay? Um, but I, yeah, I think it's really just like thinking about like, if these are the things I say I'm gonna do, yeah. then I actually have to be doing them. Or give myself permission to sometimes like recognize when I'm not doing them. So it's just like, I think, trying to be mindful. Yeah. Um, because it would be really ridiculous to say, you know, I believe in mindfulness and resilience and community building in the outdoors and then run around being like a, I don't know, misogynist asshole. <laughs> that totally doesn't happen. Not no, me, never. but with a lot of people. Never, never happened. <laughs> never, not once. You've not never, in this no, you've never seen projection of values and different. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. This is extreme. <laughs> like, I hope everybody understands that this is extreme sarcasm. Yeah, we're being extremely sarcastic. Yeah. I just interviewed someone. We were talking about, uh, yeah, these different brands and, and individuals also, right? Like, putting out into the world the values that they want to be showing up for, but not walking the walk, right? They're yeah. full of talk, not that much walk. So, yeah. That's why I asked earlier. Posers. It's like, how do you do that? Like, how do you like actually do the work? Like, how do you do the work that you believe in? You know? I think like, you just make actual, like you can't just us, hire a marketing care. firm right. and like say these are what we're gonna, like you have to actually, it has to be you. And if you don't believe in those things and you can't preach those things. Like you're not, you're not being fake. You're just being transparent. <laughs> No, but there's a difference. Like, yeah. these are the three things I believe in. Mm -hmm. You didn't, like, go and open a magazine and, like, pick hot topics and, like, these are the things I choose to believe in so that yeah. I can, like, be a brand. You're yeah. like, this is what I think represents me properly and what I give a shit about. Mm -hmm. So you're just, all you have to do is be you, which is, as you said, is sometimes hard. Like, we're not perfect. We're humans. Right. But, like, at the end of the day, you're, you believe in those things and that matters. So it should be easier. Right. Versus just if you hired a marketing firm, it's like, what's hot this year? Like, what do we have to believe in this year? Mm. Like, is it recycled let, let plastics? Like, that's what we're... Our, right. On our Instagram. Mm. Yeah. No, for sure. I think, yeah, fundamentally, it's just it's just walking the walk and talk, that you're talking. Walking yeah. the, there's a better way to say that. Don't be a poser. Don't be a poser. That's what we're bringing back. We're going to bring back I'm poser in this podcast. I think we're bringing back poser. I'd like to get to hyphy as well. Hyphy. You know? Hyphy. What about hella? Ooh, I'm not that NorCal. <laughs> I'm from Buffalo, so <laughs> I'm from Buffalo. <laughs> I'm bringing back Hella. Yeah, well, okay. I support you on this. Thank you. Somebody, I love that for Peter, you. Peter said bunk oh, earlier, and I was like, bunk. Man. I haven't heard bunk in a minute, and he was like, he said it like four times. I'm just like, bunk, 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 bunk. No, um, yeah. I think again, it's just like choosing to engage with like the things that you believe in, and yeah, and and you know, fundamentally, like when this comes down to building community and um, I mean I see I see this a lot with your podcast right like trying to not just show up for your values but create a safe and inclusive space that's also equally about like having a good time yeah um, so I think hard. you can do both I think you can do both it's so fucking hard I know but like so fucking hard 
you just got to keep going. It's what? so hard to not be whiny all the time too. Like that's no, le like really, because in real life, and they know this, like I'm not like a super whiny person. Like I'm like a pretty aggressive in a lot of my endeavor. Like I'm like not a woe is me, the world is broken every single day. But like some days I am, you know? So it's like, it's, right. it's a huge shift. It goes between, back to being like, human. I know, but like it, you put out this messaging sometimes where you're mm. like, everybody should be included. Everything is great. Like this is a problematic statement that this company put out. Like mm -hmm. like Sean White, White Space, and all this kind of yeah, shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> New podcast. <laughs> and then uh, get them on. And then on the other side, I'm like, I have no problem like telling somebody they're a piece of shit to their face. You know, like so it's like it, it, you, there's like how, you can be both, and that's yeah. but it's hard to walk that line right. because people identify you as this like woke like person oh, whatever that means that's where you balance in the salt and then i'm just like fuck you. Sprinkle, like, it, sprinkle it in it's yeah <laughs> yeah i think she nailed it. it's just being human for sure it's being a right. person it's, it's and hard. like not getting i mean uh maybe like try not to get wrapped up in your own shit yeah you know like i think last year okay case in point here's what not to do and <laughs> how to end up in a deep dark hole of mental health like <laughs> Just squishy, disgusting hole, like where you're like, oh, woe is me. I'm just trying to like do good things for the world. And now, as I, again, <clears throat> another discussion with my partner, I'm just rotting my ass of on Trump country. Full disclosure for the listeners, I am a very brown woman. <laughs> <laughs> I am a very white male. <laughs> I'm somewhere in between. <laughs> This is perfect. Thanks, guys. We, we got everybody. <laughs> perfect. Anybody? Anybody want to market to us? I'm feeling a little beat up in this conversation as a white male, but I'm listening. No, I, no, I don't want to. I don't know. Just kidding. We, he knows. I am not. This is important. Well, and that's not, why I can listen. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to be political, right? But like, there was a time during. You know. Okay. So I broke my back in March 2020. Is that when the pandemic started? Pretty much. Yeah. 2020. And I'm like in. So I'm like living in this super rural part of Colorado where my partner and I are kind of the only two people that engage in whatever, adventure sports, um, because our community hasn't not yet started to change, right? Mm. Um, it's still a lot of establishment, ranchers and farmers and people that chose to live out in the middle of nowhere. And so um, it was just like not a great year to be like, I mean, everyone was having mental health problems, but particularly with a debilitating injury oh, yeah, and sure. no physical community, um, it's just a super hard year to just like be a brown woman, like way the fuck out there. And so, and that's also like in my first year of being a sponsored athlete, mm. right? And so I put so much pressure on myself. I was like, I'm gonna like help do this thing. I'm gonna help do that thing. I wanna launch this project and that project. And it was, like, yeah, I put stuff, I had that deck, right? <laughs> I had my, had my PowerPoint deck. Um, <laughs> and I'm like looking at all these things and like, I'm like, you know, active on social media and I'm gonna chime into these conversations. I'm gonna be active in social group. Like yeah. I was, I had all these things I was fired up, right? And um, some of the projects came to fruition. Some of them didn't. I got so many offers of work that was unpaid. Um. <laughs> this is a thing I want to talk to you about. It's like one of the more, but anyway. Continue. Yeah, and and like I started to realize like how I felt like really devalued because people weren't paying me or offering to pay me for work, and at the same time like people that I thought were allied with the things I believed in like weren't showing up, um, 
And then, you know, like as an athlete with an injury and like not being able to do anything like that was pretty just generally very difficult and ended up in this place where like, I remember this, almost the straw that broke the camel's back that, well, that's too close of a metaphor, but <laughs> the, the thing that was like really the, <laughs> I try not to speak in idiomatic English anymore, right? Cause it doesn't translate <laughs> super well. And half the time I'm like mess up the meta, mess up the idioms because I speak Spanish. Yeah. Um, I ended up like just in the space, I was trying to build a relationship with someone that was um, really well established in the ski space or climb space um, as a mentor and as a potentially a friend. And like, they just blew me off and blew me off and blew me off. And it was, it like broke my heart to see this person then attempt to engage me, engage with me um, just a couple of months later mm. in a program of their, this is a white lady, uh, uh, <laughs> engage with, engage yeah, with a program yeah. of their design that was targeting like very beginner skiers. Yeah. And it was like, it was just such a punch in the gut mm. because I was like, I'm showing up for all these conversations and I'm just asking for a little help and no one's showing up for me. Yeah. Right. And then, and then, and this is a lot, another topic I'd love to get into a little bit here if we can is like, I don't understand why our industry isn't creating opportunities for people that are that come from underrepresented backgrounds but aren't beginners <laughs> like yeah i wish it, i had an answer for you i mean my friend vanessa and i were were discussing that maybe it has something to do with the fact that we're a threat i don't know uh, well, Maybe. I think one of the biggest problems in the ski industry is, and ski and snowboard industry is, nobody knows what anybody makes for money, right? And so, as an athlete, mm. you have no idea what any athlete's making, right? So, if you come into a space and you start like disrupting that space, mm. somebody that has been like grasping at straws to make a living as a professional in this career, white or whatever, like whatever background, it become you become defensive. It's that like you're starving for it, right? Like you right. need more. Scarcity. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it, right? Nobody knows what anybody makes. Marketing people know what everybody makes. And that <laughs> kind of creates a like it creates a drift, I think, between people because there's no clarity in, mm -hmm. in terms of what people are doing, what they're asking for. So if they see like you get a campaign, it's like, oh, that could have been my money and she's getting the campaign. Why is she getting the campaign, right? Nice. So I think it's a hard thing to figure out when like what's right you know like mm -hmm. what's what's the right approach uh, to me it's like we all can like there is enough money in this industry right it just mm -hmm. goes to the stupid places all the time <laughs> i like, concur <laughs> it, it just goes to random uh, random places and you're just like why was this a better ad spend than with me mm -hmm. right like and and honestly like i i don't know i walk around the show floor and i'm just like okay we could have taken that money, we could have taken that money, and you know what, we would have ran with it way better than what they're doing right now, like than doing their 20-year-old marketing campaign that they've just recycled every year, you know? So it, yeah. but it's not how people's brains work, you know? It's just, it's, it's not how everybody's brain works. So mm -hmm. it, I don't know, I think that's part of it maybe. It's because there's like- The scarcity thing for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are good at shit in snow sports. Yeah. And Who get nothing. 
who are getting nothing. We had Kyle Smain on a couple months ago, and what did he say? 5,000 bucks, like, a year he was making as, like, one of the uh, best half-pipe skiers in the world. Yeah, he was number two in the world. Number two oh, in the yeah. world. And he made, he like... 5,000. And oh, he was yeah. happy to say the number. He was like, I oh, made $5,000. Yeah. Like, I think he made 10 with bonuses. Yeah, he but was that's like, like incentives, two, That's yeah. like two, like, Grand Prix wins. Wow. Or whatever. Yeah, he was, and he was crushing. And he's literally one of the best skiers that, I've, that I know. Like, right. that I've ever... Like, right. So... Yeah, all around, for sure. But it's like, how do you be... You don't know unless you talk about it. How do you be I, the top at your sport? <laughs> right, but like football, everyone knows what everyone makes. Right. So like whatever signed a million dollar contract, now the next whoever shows up and is like, well, he got that and I'm better than him, so I want this. Right. I don't know if that'll help or hurt the ski industry, but like a little transparency might bring everyone up a little bit. I, I think it's important to be transparent. I think it's important to be transparent with your peers. Yes. Like, I think it's important that we yes. talk about it. Like, I think it's important that, but I don't necessarily think it needs to be like the NFL, like where it's like, oh, this guy got this guy. Like, right. granted, I know right. that it, that is helpful, but a conversation between peers is the only way that I ever knew that I could make money doing this. Totally. Is because I asked. I was like, what are you making? And then one day Powell was like, I'm paying all my bills on this. Sh and I'm like, fuck, okay, we can do this tomorrow. Like, mm -hmm. we can send X and I'll feel valuable. And that's when it matters, right? I don't necessarily think like just asking how much money somebody makes is the secret. For me, it's been the opposite. Like I'm treating it like I will give you all the information you want to know. I'll tell you exactly how much we make, every mm -hmm. contract, how long they are, what the details are. But when I go to a brand, mm -hmm. I'm not telling them shit. Like I'm not telling them anything. Like I I'm, corroborate that. I am like, uh, <laughs> I am just here. Do you want to lean in? Yeah. I just, I really want um, everyone to hear this. Yeah, I'm just like, this is important. I, I don't think that they need to know. I don't think that they need to know because they're not telling me what their athletes are making. Right. Right. And they're not telling me what they have for a budget. So why do I need to tell them like right. how much everybody, I either say yes or I say no. But I think you bring up a really good point about sharing with your peers, because especially for those of us who are new to the space, yeah. if we're not helping each other, like, I mean, hey, yo, this is called collective liberation, right? Like if I'm not helping you and you're not helping me, we're just buying into that same BS that has like abused the rest of athletes and, and creators and, yeah. and freelancers in this industry for the last 20 years, right? I don't, I mean, I'm salty enough. I don't want to be a salty 45 <laughs> year old lady that's grasping for my one contract, you know, that, and alienating people along the way. That's like not really a cool or conscious way to like live life. Mm. I mean, and like also, yeah, same thing. Like I, approach um, like sharing of information with my peers in the same way. Like I've had quite a few, um, usually younger women, but like women and um, most, I guess it is mostly women of color, reach out to me and say like, hey, this is what I'm working on. I mean, also like feel free to anyone listening to like reach out to me and ask for advice, but I need you to have a very specific ask. Yeah. Right, like I don't. Hey, how much you, do you make? Yeah, don't ask me that. Don't ask that. And don't ask me to pick my brain. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you can have 10 to 20 minutes. Like, I'll send you an email. If you want to read about something, like, go to my website. Like, do your research as a person that's, like, new to the space before you, mm. like, ask for someone's time. Because, like, your time is super valuable. Right? Like, I mean, I'm honored. Debatably. To, yeah. I mean, I'm honored to be on this podcast. Like, but I also, like. We're honored to have you. I, like, wasn't going to, like, try and bark up your tree earlier because I thought you were really big. Big dogs, you know. I'm just, We're not. I'm just though. a little puppy over here. Arf, arf. You're like, arf, arf. I'm more of an arf, arf. 
it's I say this all the time. Like anybody's welcome on at any point if you have a story to tell. Like if you, like if something you want to talk about, arf, arf, you arf, arf. No, but I think it's important as we grow too to highlight smaller brands and smaller athletes and like I think we continue to do that. And people that For are sure. big, not just on social media. Like right, yeah. like people that do real shit and don't have a real following. Yeah. Right, like who cares if you have a uh, to me not the most important thing no social media is not the end all and be all right no, no. it's part of the puzzle no. I hate that puzzle um, so how are we going to fix the ski industry today remind me um, stay three of well, OR not, so we have a couple of hours it's not today. upstairs the ski industry I don't know if you noticed this it's not upstairs <laughs> um, this year next year will be because they're making changes and I think it's going to be awesome but it's not I think everyone because we're going to Salt Lake um, <laughs> I think everyone needs to play nice in the sandbox <laughs> Okay. As what my does that dad look would like? say, <laughs> I'm not sure because I'm not sure what really happened. Yeah. Oh no! But they I, all need to get together and just like figure it out. Like we're you, providing, you're talking about the show specifically. Or I'm talking about the show specifically. Oh, gotcha. Um, even the ski industry together, like it's a community, and that's mm -hmm. all it is. Like you can be in Florida, and someone sees you have like a for adult like a ski V shirt on, and they're like pumped because they're your friend. So yeah. it's like <clears throat> we the community thing is like sometimes BS, but like that's what it is. Yeah. And like we're sliding down snow. That's it. Yeah. It shouldn't be any crazier than that. But we can use this as a tool to like, I don't know if preach is the wrong word, but like care about things that are important because like mm -hmm. climate change is real and like we're not going to be skiing in 20 years. And like it's, Oof. Oof. But, you know, wow. like, but it's, it's getting worse. So how do we like, fix it? Uh. Like it's, but we all need to play nice in the sandbox because we all want the same things or we yeah. kind of should. Yeah. Snowboarding does a better job at it than skiing. And I'm going to like, I will die on that because they, that was the a hot the hill, That's the hill you're going to die on? No, but I've done a, a lot of hills. Question. I'm willing to die on a lot of different hills. I'm like, I'm, I've said this a lot. So it's, uh, but I, I think that they are better at creating community. Like yeah. I think they're better they create at creating a culture, a culture to mm. what they do. It's like I tweeted something, tweeted something about like culture and snowboarding, and everybody was like, "Have you seen a TGR film?" And I'm like, "How the fuck?" You're like, you don't know what culture means, you know? You're not relating culture <laughs> to what I'm saying. You're not getting the point. It's like, yes, there's great ski yeah. movies. Yes, uh, Ben Chatler did a Grateful Dead. Move, like it, this is not culture that I'm mm. talking about. Snowboarding that's connects. That's marketing. That's Wait. marketing. Snowboarding connects with people that are just walking down the street and they yeah. look at it and it's inherently cool. Are you are you giving me the lead into our film project this year? Maybe. <laughs> Shrek 5. <laughs> no! It's a ski movie! In space. <laughs> that might be your film project. He's, he's already built it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I have it. I, I would. If pitching. that's what you're doing, then that's great. Like, I don't oh, know. Yeah. I'm Let's at, do it. How so, do we yeah. do it? No, that's it. I mean, um, okay, so the Outlier film series is a three-part series exploring belonging, community, and identity. So um, it's a woman-led team. I know we have to hire a dude. We're working on one. <laughs> Why do you have to hire a I'm dude? I'm just joking, we don't. Oh, okay. But we will, because we, we love our men. Um, and we also need, to, we need a couple more crew members, but um, namely someone to drive some sleds and bump us in some gear. But <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not, that's not an invitation. <laughs> But um, no, the outlier is 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 a story about um, two um, Latina mixed race Latinas, myself and Lonnie Bruins, who's based out in Crested Butte. Yeah, um, Lonnie's in, the shit. You know Lonnie. She's been on the show. 
Oh, with Mally Noise. Yeah. Did I know that? I don't know. I probably did. It was a while ago. It was a short interview. Like it was just about the film. But yeah. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Backpedal. Yeah. yeah. Backpedaling. Backpedaling. No, no. Oh, I totally knew that. Yeah. She's. She, I heard her episode. I all was these. awesome. <laughs> I, my brain of podcasts is totally well stocked. Um, anyway, so so um, the the film yeah just explores like this journey towards embracing identity in a world where assimilation has told us that being different is not something worthy, worth of celebration. Mm. And so, um, I mean, both she and I have been in and around ski communities our entire lives. Um, and, and yeah, like we aren't really, I mean, we are, but we aren't part of that 40 to 55% of the Latinx and Mestiza population that is the backbone of the ski industry. Right, that's serving food, that's cleaning hotel rooms, that's building houses, that is actively erased every single day um, when people say that ski communities aren't diverse because they are diverse. You just don't see us. Mm. That's a good fucking take. <laughs> hot take. No, Correct. Think, Not hot take. Correct take. But like, I would have never even thought about that. That's right. But like, you just don't look at it that way. Right. For one reason or the other, and I wonder why. I mean, how long do you have? We could talk about the legacy of colonialism. I <laughs> part three. I, I'm not that smart on the record. Like I can distill it into a few key points for you. Okay. So, within, do you know what the word mestizo means? No, no. So uh, mestizo indicates <laughs> <laughs> mestizo. Um, so let me step back. You've heard of the caste system in India. Mm -hmm. Okay, so caste systems have existed in societies around the world um, through whether they're colonized or not colonized societies. And in the Americas, the, uh, well, let me step back. So if you really want to dig into this, please go read the book, The Other Slavery by Andres Resendez, which details the categorical enslavement of indigenous peoples in the South, American Southwest as well as through Central and South America. Um, okay, just had to put that plug out there. Um, but essentially, the caste system in the Americas subsumed that, or assumes that as you mix European, specifically Iberian blood, right? So Spanish, Portuguese, and later other uh, more fair-skinned Europeans with indigenous people, the goal, quote-unquote goal, <laughs> of these people that moved to this place was to keep the bloodline fair. Mm. Because whiteness or appearing lighter, right? Like we, th these conversations also happen in the black community. I don't know if this has happened on another one of your podcasts, but having fair skin indicates privilege. It indicates wealth. And it also associated with that, our safety and schooling and intelligence and access <clears throat> to spaces that because of how colonization works mm -hmm. led to the marginalization, enslavement and erasure of indigenous people. So, we're gonna skip a whole other, a whole bunch of steps, but where that puts us is that I think within, like as a person that comes from, you know, well, it's not obvious because we, I don't know if we have video on this, but. Um, theoretically. <laughs> theoret theoretically we have video. Yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, you know, I have, I have the darkest skin of my family. And like growing up, I was always told, like my grandmother told me like, oh, don't go in the sun, you're gonna get too dark, mm. you know? Uh, like make sure you put sunscreen on so you can stay fair, right? And like certainly, like there was this cultural value of me, like being with someone that had fairer skin than I, 
which is something that like she inherited from her family and so on and so forth. And it's like, I don't want to, I mean, I think she was doing the best that she could with what she had at that time. Right. Because her family, like she and her husband, who's a very dark skinned Filipino man, um, you know, when they married, she was very, very fair. Like she, her mother had blue eyes. Mm. Right. And like, here I am this like very dark brown haired woman with brown eyes. And like, she gave up her privilege as a fair-skinned person to be with a darker-skinned person and raised her children in a farming community, you know, picking grapes in the summer as my mom up through college. And, like, here I am, a generation later, choosing to sleep on the dirt, mm. you know, choosing to freeze my ass off and, like, voluntarily walking up mountains because that's, quote-unquote, fun, right? And so there's this eschewing of privilege that I think has been very confusing to my my family personally. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's its own personal journey. I think that Latinx people are, mm -hmm. particularly those that are like existing and new to mountain spaces, like have to grapple with mm -hmm. because our families are like, why would you choose to do something difficult? Yeah. Right? Like we've worked so hard for you to have this and you want to go do this? Like, let's go shopping. Let's go to <laughs> Marie Callender's. You're like, no, I want to like eat ramen and <laughs> sleep in a yeah, cold no, tent. <laughs> Yeah. Right? Like it's culturally confusing, I think, for people, particularly from first, second generation families. Um, so anyway, we're, that that was like a personal aside. But I think the bigger question of of, you know, identifying with the Latinx community is that, you know, as it pertains to this film and as a larger personal exploration for myself has been like, you know, where do I fit in? Mm -hmm. Right. Like I have the privilege of being college educated I speak three languages I can do all these things that people that don't like have that privilege that are still working doing you know making 10 bucks an hour making 12 bucks an hour like have right like I was sitting in a bar last week in um, Sun Valley and got into this really interesting conversation with these two Peruvian guys who speak more Quechua than Spanish and they were talking to me about their, what Quechua is the indigenous language from the high Andes, uh, or one of them, one of many. <laughs> and they were talking to me about like, their, like not seeing their families because their families are back in Peru and what their life is like here and like their jobs and this and that. And they're like, what do you do for work? And I was like, I'm a professional snowboarder and like, <laughs> I am an athlete I'm, I am making a movie picture right like there was this incredible guilt and also um, I think like fire in my belly to be like well like I'm I may not be a part of this community but I'm adjacent to it yeah. like how am I showing up for this community so anyway I can go on and on that's another episode but yeah. <laughs> this no, that's, but it shows that like you, you are here now, right? Like you've, mm. you've kind of like arrived almost where it's like, you're doing this thing, right? Like mm. you're doing, you're doing the, th that's non-alcoholic. There's no way that that's going to help right now. Um, I'm just, <laughs> I, it it's calming. <laughs> um, I, I just think that, I, I don't know. I, I think it's really important to just take stock in what you have and be like, this is fucking cool. Like you don't need yeah. to feel guilty. You don't right. need to feel like you're leaving something out. Like you're you fucking, yeah. you're doing it. Like, and yeah. yeah, it's a privilege, but like do crazy. that shit 
as good <laughs> as you can. Like do that shit. Of your situation, which I think is do important. it to the max Oof. that you possibly can, and like that's yeah. when you show out, and that's how you represent the communities that you come from in the best way possible. Is like you're gonna show up, and like you're gonna fucking kill it. Like that's trying. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Now you're just paving the way, though. You're making it easier. Somebody for else is gonna be able to do it, but yeah, because exactly. they're gonna see yeah. your film series and be like, no oh. pressure. Um, no pressure. It's fine. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna be keep focusing on kicking down more doors. And then, I mean, I know I only have two hands, but I'm gonna try and bring, you know, like five people with me, every door I go through. I love it. Because otherwise, like. Yeah, what's our motto <laughs> this year? What is it? Our Fuck mission statement. Up. Mission statement. Just fuck shit up. Ethan does not approve. He of does our not approve. He, he didn't approve either. It's like nobody approved. Like all the old people I know don't approve. It's fine. Man. Ethan's younger than you. We're fucking shit. He is. Yeah, but he's older than me. Mm. I mean, you saw those earrings I was wearing yesterday. Oh, the lightning bolts. Those were yeah. fire, though. I can't believe I remember that. That fit was ridiculous. Yes. Like, that fit was so good. It's. Be, I mean, That's why I wore here. this fit. I it's was threatened. Because the whole thing was, I'm here to light shit up. Yeah. I mean, oh, it was yeah. very empowering to sit on a stage and be like, you need to pay brown and black people yeah. and trans people and disabled people. You can't just, like, offer them gear yeah. and be on your Instagram. That's and you BS. also can't tokenize <laughs> Like, I was just, I fucking, it's, it's funny. Like, Vasu's on every fucking thing in this building. And I'm so happy for him. But, like, I always am like. I hope he got paid. Get paid, he's getting And paid. he's getting paid. Like, that, that dude's smart as fuck. Like, he's getting he's paid. Getting he's getting paid. That dude's I know, smart. I need his lawyer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Vasu, will you share a lawyer with me? <laughs> um, <laughs> Pro bono, please. Um, <laughs> Can we can we end on setting boundaries for getting paid and like how you're able to be like all right like this is how I'm setting my worth and I mm -hmm. won't take less than like how how do you do that for yourself mm. and how did you get to the point because doing it now is not how you got to the point where you're like comfortable saying this is what I'm worth right it's different than it was like right. a year ago and for it sure. was different than it was six months ago and like it's, sure. it's constantly changing. Constantly changing. Um, I love that. I love talking about boundaries. I'm all about boundaries, baby. Elsa, thank you for setting the boundary of this episode is almost done. <laughs> I, need I, don't, I don't want to, like, I need to I go have to eat pee. lunch. I have to pee. It's too dirty. <laughs> um, oh, shit. Okay, let's get this done. Um, you know, boundaries, boundaries. Um, you know, I think it fundamentally comes down. So today, um, as you said, today is not the same as yesterday. It's not the same as six months ago or a year ago. And I'd say, I'd say like, Every time I'm thinking about engaging in a new partnership or working with, you know, a new brand or like, heck, like going touring with someone new, it's like, what am I bringing to the table? And what are we like, what does that reciprocity look like? Right. Is it am I bringing something more or are they bringing something more? Right. Like in the case of skiing partners, like sometimes I'm going to have way more experience than someone and vice versa. Right. So it's trying to be conscious about like, what does that exchange look like? Because I don't think it like in the case of brand partnerships, it doesn't always have to be monetary. Right. Like as I've built this career, like have I gotten paid every single step of the way? No. Right. Like I wish I had, but I also like have to recognize that like the market three years ago wasn't what it was two years ago. Right. Like, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, not everybody like wanted to look at my portfolio <laughs> three years ago and instead was just like, we'll just pay you this or whatever, right? Like mm -hmm. it wasn't always merit and 
like portfolio matched up with the work that was delivered. But I think that the mar we're getting closer to a place where the deliverables that individual contributors can bring are properly compensated. Mm. I think it really just has to do with people saying like, what do you want, right? Like there are things that like I'm happy to do like with a nonprofit partner, for example, mm -hmm. for like very little money, right? But it's also like, will there be photos? Will there be coverage? Will there be like a lasting, like a backlink, for example, on a web page is a great way to like build your Googleability, right? Mm -hmm. Like asking for a link. Like not everything needs to be paid because if I, if I held the bar of like every single partnership I had needs to be paid, like, you know, I don't know. Let's just call it Gucci prices. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I don't yeah. name. So I don't name names, right? Yeah. Then, then I'd really be shutting out a lot of potentially beautiful partnerships with smaller brands that are doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I've got tough stances on this stuff. Like I know I'm you like, do. Because I've worked so hard to get to a point where I get paid now, you know? Like, I, oh, I yeah. like, you know, so, like, I took a lot of free shit in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I wish I didn't. Like, I wish I set a boundary then, you know? But it's also, like, do you, do you make that next relationship if you're just like, no, fuck you, pay me? Right. Like, it's hard to build stuff on that sometimes. And sometimes, like, it's – and you got to decide. And this is where my – I always feel is the most important thing. You got to decide if it's worth the relationship, right? And I think that's exactly the point you're making. And I think that that's, for me, is the most important thing because, and these guys know this, like I will take a discount for a brand that I really believe in and want to work with. Right. Right. Like I, I don't know. Like I, I just think it's worthwhile if I think they're bringing me something that's going to last and that's gonna, that we can work together on and kind of right. have a symbiotic relationship as opposed to a simply transactional relationship. Right. Oh, However, transactional relationships, the price don't change. Right, exactly. If that's what we're doing, you want me to do specific work, I'm here for, like, it's like, this is what I get, I get it from everybody, and you know what? If you don't want it, you don't get it. Like, that's, but that's right. not a relationship, that's a transaction. Right, but there's a difference. There's a big yeah. difference, and I prefer relationships. Same. Right. Like totally. I, because honestly, those ends up those end up being transactional to some extent too, and those end up being worthwhile in a lot of cases. I mean, a partnership is a partnership is a type of relationship, right? right? That becomes to me like very aspirational. Like I would love to have most of the brands I work with be true partnerships, right? Where maybe we can talk about like the different not just projects I want to work on, but like product development right. or I don't know, like building community around yeah. this initiative or that, but when you're new to a relationship, you're not like, I mean, sorry to anyone who's on Tinder that's ever done this. Like, I love you. And can I marry you? You know, like mm. immediately, right? Like that's too much. Pump the brakes. Yeah. Like we have to back into that. And so like, to your point, like you have to build, it takes time, but also knowing that like some things, I think that's, again, it goes back to discernment. Some exchanges are going to be more transactional and others are going to be potentially, you know, a space where you can develop a partnership. You have to be like, what am I bringing to the table and what do I want here? Hmm, for right? sure. And it's a growth opportunity sometimes. It's like you can grow sure. and work. And like, if that's the case, then that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So. I mean, oh, that brings another great point to even the transaction thing, right? Like right. if you're doing something you've never done before, then like if it's, I say it's like, if it's like 10% outside of my comfort zone, or more, like, I'm not going to charge you a premium price for it because yeah. that's just unethical. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, if I'm not good at it, I'm not good at it. Yeah. If I don't know how to, and I might be, but I don't, I'm not there yeah. yet. Yeah. It's so. as simple as that. Yeah, but boundaries, boundaries, discernment, and like making some good choices. <laughs> For sure. Um, this is this has been great, Penny. Um, where can people find you? Where's your website? Where's your Instagram? Yep. Give me the whole whole bit. The whole bit. Um, my website is dannyreyesacosta.com. That's D-A-N-I-R-E-Y-E-S-A-C-O-S-T-A.com. Um, and you'll be able to access both. I have like two sites from there. So I have the consultant site as well as the athlete site. Um, but everywhere else I'm not lost, just discovering. So not lost, just discovering all one word. Um, if you find me on LinkedIn, because you're that kind of person, it's just my name. I really love LinkedIn. Do you? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, yes. this is the first time anyone's ever said this ever. I mean, I'm also a nerd. Remember? Uh, out. All right. Battle bots. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's finish this thing up. <laughs> I'm linked out. <laughs> Thank you. This has been great. Thank I'll see you, you online. Yeah. I'll see you at the next show. Yeah. See you in the metaverse. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, kids. <laughs> Peter, tell me who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, Peter Arlene, founder and CEO of Mountain Flow EcoWax. We are based in Carbondale, Colorado. We make plant-based non-petroleum ski and snowboard wax, bike lube, and just launched uh, recycled aluminum ski poles. That's awesome. Uh, what made you want to start a company like that? Like, what's your background? Like, how, how do you get into something like this? Yeah, people ask all the time if I'm a scientist. Um, kind of look like a scientist. You think so? A little bit. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm not a scientist at all. I worked in the ski industry for years, and I still do, I guess. Um, <laughs> with a ski tech, uh, worked with wax a lot, kind of eventually found out what was in it, thought that was bunk, yeah. and was motivated to come up with a better solution. Yeah. So what, I guess, is, what's the problem with the traditional ski wax? So yeah, like for people that aren't familiar. Great question. So just about all the ski wax in the world is made from petroleum. Yeah. Whatever you put on your skis or board goes directly into the snowpack. Yeah. The mechanism of how wax provides glide is by shedding into the snow. Right. That's literally how it works. Right. So whatever you put on your ski goes directly into the snow. When that snow melts, it ends up in the watershed. Oh, how has that been an accepted practice, I guess, for so long? And why isn't something like this becoming more standard? Yeah, I don't think, and people still don't know what is in wax, right? They go, right. oh, like, oh, it's wax. Like, oh, it's plastic. Well, yeah. what's plastic from? Made from petroleum. Right. Wax is the same thing. Right. Um, so people didn't know. They weren't asking for a better solution. Right. And you just decided that you were going to give it to them, whether they were asking for it or not. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, there's like, there are other plant-based waxes yeah, out for sure. there. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, it's doable. Yeah. So I'm just going to try to do it better. And hopefully this is a time when people are ready to make a change. And I think it's a perfect time. Like, I think it, that part has worked out really well. And sustainability, obviously, is like, it's a big talking point for brands right now. But I think this seems as authentic as it gets. And like, there was actually like a panel upstairs at the show yesterday where they're talking about one of the main things you have to do as a brand is be authentic in the product that you're creating and how you're marketing it to your audience, right? Like, this seems as legitimate and real, I think, as it gets, right? Yeah, I mean, we strive to be as authentic as we can. Yeah. We are all skiers before we were businessmen. And we're probably still not businessmen. We're actually yeah. just still skiers. Um, 
And you know, like wax is like a critical thing. Like you don't want to F it up. Yeah. And then people get out there and they're having a terrible time. So yeah. we take it very seriously. We don't release any product until we've tested it in every snow condition. We've ran it through extensive performance tests, speed traps against all of the other waxes out there. And we can say, yeah, we know with confidence that this is as fast or faster than anything else on the market. Yeah, that's kind of what my question was, is like, what what's the benefit of making a petroleum-based wax if this is just as good of a product? So... Like, I don't know still? that much about petroleum wax because I don't, you don't work use, with it. Right. I don't use it. But my assumption is is that it's the it's easier to get materials. For sure. Um, it's probably cheaper. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and what's happened with petroleum-based wax is you have that as a base, and yeah. then you're really putting additives in there to make it go fast. Mm-hmm. Like if you take a candle, which is petroleum-based wax, and rub it on your ski, it's not going to be fast. Right. So it's, that's just a conduit for additives that make you go fast. And it's a lot of times it's the additives which add the extra toxicity. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's a weird thing to even be talking about like the intricacies of wax in general to me because it's like such an afterthought to people. It's like, oh, I need to just get my skis waxed and go. Like they don't think about it enough, I think. And this kind of conversation, I think, will start to change the way that people look at wax, right? Because, I don't know, people just don't really, I don't know, they don't give a shit. Most people walk into a store and they just buy the wax, right? Yes. It's like, do you have, what, what temperature wax do you have if they even go that far and ask, right? Right. So it's like, this is more important. It's a classic commodity product. Yeah. People don't ask for a specific wax. They just say like, I need my skis waxed. Right. They're not asking for the wax. You guys in the shop aren't saying, oh, we're, by the way, we're using this wax on your skis Right. Today. Right. It's like when you go get your oil changed. I need oil. Right. Okay, cool. Right. You're not asking. Right. Exactly. No, it's true. Give me that dope Valvoline. Um, (laughs) And so we're trying to like make a brand from a commodity. Yeah. So yes, make it sustainable, but make it something that people care about. So they're like talking about it. Yeah. I'm on mountain flow and it's cool for these reasons. And like my favorite pros are using it and I'm going to talk about my wax. Yeah. Which people like until now didn't do. Right. No, it's, it's, it's real. It's a real thing. People just go in and they buy it. What's, What has changed for you guys over the last, I don't know, say the last year um, in your business model, right? I mean, because COVID hits, there's a lot going on. Everybody's business, it seems like in the outdoors has gone up, um, but it's also made it a lot trickier to navigate business situations. Like we're at a basically an empty trade show right now, right? It's like that would have never been the case two or three years ago. How, how has your model changed? Has it changed at all? And what kind of things are you looking at because of the pandemic? So I think the biggest change to our business because of the pandemic was the addition of our line of bike products. So March 2020, we had just come off Outdoor Retailer. We had like won all these awards. Yeah. We were off to the races. Yeah. And then like screeching halt. Ski resorts are shut down. Right. Don't know when they're going to open again. Right. Um, we had been thinking about bike products for a while. Mm-hmm. It's the same story, you know. Um, most bike products are made from petroleum. We make ours from plant-based ingredients. Mm-hmm. People have been asking for it, and so that was a perfect time to move into the bike market. Mm. Can I ask, like, what's the what's the percentage that you guys do bike versus ski stuff? Like, I'm, I'm assuming that it's much heavier in the ski side of things at this point, but do you have goals of expanding in bike more? Like, are there new products that you guys are looking at? I mean, because it's an interesting thing to me. And even, like, I told you before we started, like, the packaging on that spray bottle for for the lube is like 
it's great. Like it's just it literally is the same as the wax one, but it's like nobody thinks like that. And I think from a marketing perspective, it looks different on a shelf too, right? So where else are you guys expanding in that line? Yeah. So right now, bike is probably thirty percent of our business. Okay. Um, That's harder than I thought. Yeah, and I think it's gonna you know could potentially outpace ski. Bike yeah. is exploding. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, bike lube is even easier to use than ski wax, right? Yeah. You don't need any special equipment. Yeah. A lot more people are lubing their chain as opposed to waxing their skis. So I think there's just a big room for growth there. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, to, to touch on the packaging, like, if the listeners haven't seen the product, it's a cardboard bottle. Yeah. It has, like, a thin plastic bladder. And it uses 70% less plastic than a rigid plastic bottle. Yeah. And for us, like, if we're making plant-based products, we try to have non-petroleum, non-plastic packaging as much as possible. Yeah. And we'll kind of talk about specific products, I guess, in a little bit. But what have you looked at any other brands at this point? Like, is anybody else impressing you uh, with what's going on, what they're doing for sustainability, what they're doing uh, to help the outdoor industry? Like, are there other brands that you kind of look at and you're like, okay, they're doing a good job. Like, they're, they're fucking killing it. We need to do more stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, this isn't going to surprise anybody, but, like, Patagonia is crushing it. Yeah. Um, we just got some, like, team jackets yeah. from them. And I reached out, and I was like, hey, like, what's your, like, greenest jacket? Like, we want to make sure that, like, we're yeah. buying your green stuff. Like, what's made with recycled materials? They're like, the the whole line's green. Yeah. Everything's made with recycled materials. So it's yeah. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you mean I can buy anything? Yeah. Um, so, like, those guys are crushing it. Um, you know, on the flip side, I think what a lot of brands are doing, especially in the wax and bike space, is that they are now offering like a token mm. eco-friendly product. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you want something like plant-based? Boom, we gotcha. Yeah. You know, but it's like, how authentic is that if 95% of your business is either with, you know, carcinogenic fluorocarbons and petroleum-based products, and then you're just like kind of appeasing that crowd and checking the box? Yeah, no, for sure. It's a it's a totally different commitment to that type of product. Like, and you see it. You're right. There's there's a bunch of brands and all the big ski wax brands. I think are, have that token product. But I've never even thought about it as a token product. But that's exactly what it is. Right. That's uh, that's fucking bizarre, man. It's a very it's a weird space. What about that? Uh, what about the award show last night? Can we talk about that for a second? Like, what did you see anything last night that you were like? That's cool. Because to me, there's like that biodegradable jacket. I forget who made it, but like that was cool. I thought yeah. I don't really understand how it works and like how the pacing of that or, or like what's going to happen to it. But um, I don't know. Did you see anything last night that you were impressed by? Um, I mean, the Eddie Bauer line made for Trevor is like yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. You know, like the fact that they're making a line of clothes for adaptive athletes is awesome. Like yeah. so needed. But as a brand, you could totally see where people would be like, you know, there's not enough. There's mm-hmm. not enough volume to justify it. But, like, they should have clothes that work for them. Like, yeah. I think that is so cool. So I was super stoked to see those guys come out on top. Um, I mean, there's, like, everything up there was, was cool. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's, like, a brilliant idea. Like, the simple thing of, like, putting a sticker with, like, a QR code on your gear so that if you lose it, yeah. someone can be like, zap, here's yeah. your stuff. You know, like... Yeah, there was a lot of, yeah. The, like, duh. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you know? It's But that's what, like, the Innovation Awards are, right? Like, it's nobody's making a recycled aluminum ski pole. Like, that's what you guys are doing now, and that's fucking cool, man. Like, that kind of stuff should exist in the market. So, I guess let's talk about those. What's different mm-hmm. there? How Like, why get into that market next? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so we just rolled out a line of recycled aluminum ski poles. Other ski poles are made from virgin aluminum. So the cool thing about aluminum is whether it's recycled or virgin, the characteristics are the same. So no sacrifice in weight, performance, durability, any of that. The benefit is recycled <coughs> aluminum uses 90% less carbon emissions. So virgin aluminum, you're mining bauxite ore, you're refining that into aluminum. Recycled, you're chopping up beer cans, old ski poles, mm. making new ones, like just a much more circular process. Um, I don't know why people aren't doing it. Um, we were kind of looking to expand the line. We were looking at like different options, like what's in our wheelhouse, what works with our yeah. brand ethos. And we we're like, oh, ski poles, like everybody uses those. Yeah. Um, how can we do a better job? And then we were able to source the recycled aluminum. Um, and yeah, people seem stoked on it. And everybody's a ski pole customer for the most part, right? Like uh, people lose poles all the time. Like people, like, it's one of those things. People just kind of walk in the door and like, I need a pole, right? Like some people really think about it. Like they want a nice pole. And I guess you guys have a few different product offerings in that, like in that range for like the person that just needs a pole and the person that wants like the Gucci one kind of. Yeah. So I, I think that's really rad. But it is, it's again, it's one of those things that people just walk in and they're like, I need a fucking ski pole. Right. It's a classic commodity thing. Yeah. And we're hoping to disrupt that. So yeah. people say, hey, like, I want a mountain flow pole. I heard about them. Yeah. And like, I want to support that. Yeah. No, that's really cool. What, have you thought about working with brands like, I don't know, like a Wonder or something like that? Like to make, I don't know, to sell them a type of pole that they can make. Like, because they, that's their whole brand ethos is very similar, it sounds like, to what you guys do. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you guys work with them at all or any companies like them, but have you guys explored that avenue of sales? Yeah, so we do work with Wonder. Cool. Um, a lot of our team skis on their skis. Yep. And we make a full line of wax for them. So they're, we're doing collab, our entire wax line. They're cool. selling direct to consumer. Cool. So stoked to be working with them. And it's like a great example of like, now we can reach out to them and say, hey, if you can hit our MOQ, like we'll make custom poles for you with our recycled aluminum. Yeah, that seems like a good opportunity. And it seems like, uh, it seems like they're on the right wave of things right now. And people are really liking what they're doing. Yeah. Whatever they did to like market that, they've made being sustainable cool. And I think that's, it's important. Yeah. So, um, can I ask you about Shark Tank? Are you sick of talking about Shark Tank? No, People ask no. you about it a lot? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Um, first of all, how do you get invited on the show? How do you, what, like, what, what, just tell me the story. Yeah, so interestingly enough, it all started at this show two years ago. Really? <laughs> so, we had a booth. There was a talent scout here. You know, we had, we were in the daily and this and that. Yeah, yeah. And um, so they found out about us, you know, cold email two weeks later, totally thought it was bunk. I yeah. was like, this is a scam. Yeah. <laughs> no way Shark Tank wants us to come on and talk about ski wax. Yeah. Um, but I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll email them back. Like at the off chance that it's legit. Yeah. It was legit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were like, we saw you at the show. We think it's super interesting. Um, let's like start this process. So then you go through six months of uh, due diligence and like essentially they wanna make sure that you're not boring, right? Cause it's entertainment. <laughs> and so like you're doing practice pitches in front of them. Yeah. Um, and you just, yeah. Like then they say, okay, cool. You're in, like we film in two weeks, get there. Are you, d does this stuff make you nervous? Like is this, is PR and marketing and this kind of stuff in your wheelhouse normally? Uh, it doesn't make me nervous. Okay. It's not in my wheelhouse. I don't know. I just, 
we're just talking about skiing. This is like all I talk about anyway, yeah. whether it's work or friends. Yeah. Like, so so it was know. easy to go like and be filmed in front of an like in front of those guys, like in front of Kevin O'Leary, Barbara, like the whole crew, and be like comfortable talking about it and being aware that you're going to be on TV. It felt like, um, you know, like getting ready to drop into a big line, you know, and you're like thinking about it all day and you're, you're terrified. And then as soon as you roll in, yeah. it just goes instinct. And yeah. then you like, I like blacked out. And then like an hour <laughs> later I came off set and I was like, what happened? <laughs> Did we win? Yeah. <laughs> um, but you just get into the, like the, the swing of things. And like, fortunately they were super engaged. Yeah. And, like they skied, they understood wax. They understood about like the toxicity of other waxes. Right. Um, and it just flowed. Yeah. It was just easy enough to like have that conversation. It's nice when somebody understands what you're trying to do, I think, and that probably makes it a lot easier. Like, versus you watch that show sometimes and you're like, what the fuck is this product? Like, what are they trying to make? Like, what are they getting at? Right. And like, this seem, like, this is very clear. Like, the the design, the goal is is simple. And I thought you were great. And I think coming out in kit was, uh, was a pro move too. Like, I think that's excellent. Yeah, like I don't have like dress up clothes, you know, so I was like, <laughs> I could wear ski clothes, and they were like, oh, we would love that. And then they, like, put fake snow on it. You know, like, the wardrobe team that. was all in. It was, it was pretty fun. I love that. Um, what kind of pop do you get from something like that as a brand? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of get that, like, immediate hit that night. Yeah. And, like, kind of through the whatever weekend as people are watching it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then really what it did for us is kind of expose us to a new audience. Right. Like, the people at the show here, they – know the brand. They understand right. why it's cool. Right. But like your weekend warriors, they don't necessarily know about us. Right. But they do watch Shark Tank. Yeah. And so it just exposed us to like that bigger part of the market. Yeah. Which was really cool. How, so what, what do you do with that investment? Like, I know that's maybe a personal question, but like, what do you do with that investment from a Kevin O'Leary, a Barb? Like what, where does that money go? Like, what was the goal for it? Yeah, so I mean, um, marketing and education is like the biggest key to our success. Okay. So the more that we can get out there and tell people our story and yeah. explain that, you know, there's now a choice in your ski wax and your bike lube. Right. Um, so yeah, That's education, a- marketing, um, and then, you know, obviously having some cash on hand, inventory is a huge expense as yeah. we're growing. Yeah. So yeah, we had plenty of, <laughs> it's easy to spend the money. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, especially in the ski industry, like, that shit disappears fast. Like, everything's expensive. The whole sport is expensive. And uh, nothing seems to be, yeah, nothing's easy. Yes. Yeah. Nothing's easy. Um, Can we talk about that a little bit? Like, how how do we make this sport a little more accessible for people in general? Because that's one of the biggest talking points right now in skiing is making the sport more accessible to everybody. Do you have thoughts on this? I know I didn't like prep you ahead of time with this, like, so if you don't have anything, it's okay. But I don't know. I just, I wonder how skiing and the ski industry can start to create a more inclusive environment. And I don't mean inclusive, like the buzzword inclusive. I mean, inclusive, like easy access. Like, for example, I quote this all the time. Like Tom Walsh was on a few months ago and he was like, we should sell skis in Target. Like we should Mm -hmm. sell cheap, Mm -hmm. easy access. Like let's go skiing skis that like reduce that barrier to entry. So do you have thoughts on this kind of thing? Because at the, on the flip side, it's like you're creating more waste, you're creating more product. Like, so what, what do we do? Like, how do you, I don't know, how, like, how do we handle that? Yeah, I mean, it's a super important and relevant question. And 
I think about it all the time. I don't have like great solutions, I don't think. Um, but I think it's super important. Like skiing is, you know, the coolest thing out there. I yeah. know you know that. Yeah. And it's done so much for me. Like I think the more people we can get on snow, like you're just gonna have a happier population. For sure. Right? Like hundred percent. Hands down. Yep. Um, and I it is super exclusive. It's yeah. like really hard yeah. to do it. I mean I sometimes I show up to a new resort and I'm like, okay, wait, where's the lift? Where do I park? How do I do the how do I go up the thing? <laughs> you know? And it's like I've been skiing for like 30 years yeah, and right. I'm full gape, like looking around the base village. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, if someone had never done this, it's wicked hard. Um, but to your point, I think one of the things we can do, I was in China two years ago on a, with a trade mission. They had this like massive effort to get their whole population to be skiers mm. in anticipation of the Olympics. Yeah. They have indoor ski resorts mm -hmm. in the major cities. And we're yeah. starting to get that here in Denver. I think that's a great way to start, Yeah, right? It's much less intimidating, it's cheaper. You go and get lessons, it's safer, it's controlled. And then like you show up maybe with your instructor from the indoor ski resort to like an outdoor resort. Mm. And then you like, it's stepwise as opposed to like, go to Vail, figure it out, like. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, especially like some of the days on Hill right now, like you see some of the videos and you're like, how would you even get down this safely? Like, I mean, I don't know, I'm like, I'm a ski shop, right? Like we're sending out rentals. The amount of people that have gotten hurt this year because the mountain's too busy and they mm -hmm. can't like beginner and like low level intermediate snowboarders and skiers haven't like developed the ability to like dodge moving other people like, or like just be out of the way enough and they get hurt that way is, is insane to me. So yeah. I guess it's like we're working with so we're working against so many things it feels like sometimes and uh, I don't know man. It's, yeah. I think it's an important thing that we need to keep talking about. Yeah. I do think I do think that the indoor ski resort thing is is great. Like a Big Snow in New Jersey yeah. is like to me that's that's the spot. Like they figured out like a way to make it work all year round. It's in a mall. You can go shopping, and then you can, like, rent your full kit if you want to. Like, you can rent pants through skis, boots, bindings, like, the whole deal, right? And I think, to me, that's an, that's an easy way. Uh, easy is a loose word, maybe, because I'm sure they put a shit ton of work and money into it to make that thing happen. And, I mean, it was being built for, I don't know, over a decade um, before it wow. actually opened. So, I don't know. Like that, But that stuff seems like the right approach, right? I, don't, I have no clue. It's, I think it's worth a try. Yeah. You know, we need to do something different than like the trend, which is like bigger resorts getting bigger, more expensive, more exclusive. Like mm. it's moving in that direction. So we need to try something else. Yeah. It's, and that's like a conversation we have a lot too, where it's like, is it getting more exclusive? Like passes are cheaper than they, to buy a season pass is cheaper than it used to be. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, you can go and buy an Epic pass for depending on what one you want, anything from like $5.99 to $8.99 and get all access if you buy it at the right time of year, right? So how do you turn, how do you tell somebody that that's a bad deal? Like for, I don't know, for skiing in general, when they go to their local hill and it's 800 bucks to ski at one place, you know, for the whole season. So, yeah. Or they go to a single lift ticket and it's $215 or whatever, you know, like that seems like a crazy issue to me too. I don't want to just talk about issues, but there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so interesting. And uh, I was just over in Europe um, skiing in France. And I was like, okay, I'm you know ready to pay 200 bucks to ski yeah. in Chamonix. 
was like 50 bucks. Yeah, it's crazy. I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And they have the massive infrastructure, trams, gondolas, yeah. thousands of acres of skiing for yeah. 50 bucks. Yeah, it's a totally different thing. I did like this comparison to like Pico versus Chamonix like a few months ago on Instagram. And everybody's <laughs> like, oh, that's max ticket price at wherever, at Sugarbush or something like that. Um, versus going to shop. And it's just like, no, it's so much more terrain. This is a world-class resort, and it's 50 fucking dollars to go skiing wherever you want. Like, it's insane. It's, yeah, it's crazy. How do we do that? Why don't we do that? Yeah, like, I don't know, I don't know the why the numbers don't line up. I, I don't get it either. I don't know if we're the people that are going to fix it either. But I'm glad we got so much accomplished <laughs> this morning. You heard it here fo- first, folks. We've solved skiing. Everything is fixed. Yep. Uh, there's no more problems. And uh, yeah, everybody doesn't need to buy an Epic Pass anymore. So that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about like some of the products that you guys offer. We'll kind of like cap it off on that. And you can kind of tell me like what you guys actually make on the ski side of things, like what we have in front of us. Yeah, so like we'll start with this. This is now our best seller. This is a wax kit that we came out with this year. It's got a couple bars of wax in there, an iron and a scraper. So it's great if people are like just getting into it. They want a little bit of everything in yeah. one box. You know, in terms of sustainability, we wanted to create a beautiful case that people are going to reuse. For sure. You know, you, you get this, you take everything, you put it on your wax bench. Yeah. And then you have a case that most people will just throw out or never right, use. Right. So we, like, took time. We designed this. And now, we're like, we get photos all the time of people putting, like, all sorts of oh, stuff Oh, it's beautiful. The branding's great. Like, I mean, I, I it looks as good as a, ba- a box of wax could possibly (laughs) look (laughs) yes for a box of wax this is sweet so we're super pumped on this um kind of going through the lineup this is our our bread and butter this is our traditional iron-on wax yep um plant-based non-petroleum biodegradable the packaging itself is eco like this sits on the shelf and you know that this is a sustainable product right you know this is you could throw this package out in your garden and it would break down like people use it for starts when they're oh, really? because you like it's like an egg crate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it'll just break down in soil. So we're oh. super stoked on this. Um, quick wax, so rub on, super yeah. easy to use. Uh, there's an applicator pad in there, and you just rub it on your skis. Right. Um, so if people are on vacation, they don't have their wax set up, they want like a quick hit, they can use this. Yeah. Um, skin wax. Um, we sell a ton of this. Really? Um, rub on skin wax, prevents icing on your skins so when you're climbing, gives you a little yeah, bit yeah. better glide. Um, anyone who's backcountry skiing should have one of these in their pack. Yeah. You can just throw it in your pack, you can put it on in a field, it's super easy. Are there, are there barriers to the kind of products that you guys can make wax-wise? Like, are there limitations to what a plant-based wax product can be? I'll introduce this next one because it's a great example of us breaking through the barriers. Yeah. Um, this is our non-flora race wax. Okay. So quick background on fluorinated ski wax. Yep. Super popular for high-end race wax, kind of the go-to for decades. Yeah. Recently, in the last five years, it's been banned. People realize that fluoros, that's like what you have on the Teflon right, right. pot and pan. It's carcinogenic, kills people, um, and it's a forever chemical. So yeah. once it gets into the environment, it stays there. Mm. They've been able to find environmental fluoros at ski resorts. That was like the big aha moment. Because they knew that it was coming from other stuff and just in the environment. But they were able to trace it back from skiing, from ski wax. And then not only did it go into the water, it started to make its way up the food chain. 
Okay. So there's like people who think that it's in, you know, dairy cows in France that are making fancy no kidding. cheese. So it's like in our face, right? It's everywhere. Yeah. And so now it's banned pretty much everywhere. Right. Fluorinated wax. They're trying to ban it into World Cup level. They don't have the testing yet. And so they've pushed back the ban for two years. Why? Because, you know, it's like high level racing. You know, I would love to say, yeah, like, just don't do it because it's bad. Yeah, but like that seems like somebody should do, like somebody should just be like, don't do it because it's bad. Like, why does that decision not get made? That's the kind of shit that bugs me about like, everybody claims to care about the environment, everybody claims to love skiing, and then like we do this kind of shit and it just flies. Like, we're, like we're, ah, two more years, so, like what's, what's the big deal, right? Like we should have stopped two years ago, not two years from now. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I try to keep a positive spin on it. Like the fact that we're talking about it is a good thing. I'm hoping that they can figure out the testing. It doesn't seem impossible. Yeah. Um, but in terms of breaking through barriers, we developed a non-flora race wax. We use a ceramic nano powder, which even if you don't know what that means, like that sounds dope, right? Like that yeah. sounds oh. fast, <laughs> right? Uh, and so we licensed the rights to a ceramic nano powder. It mimics the qualities of flora while being completely non-toxic and biodegradable. Okay. One of our athletes, Alexander Kilda, Norwegian ski racer, he just won the Hanenkam on our wax. Sick. So that's like the biggest downhill race in the world. Yep. He won it on a plant-based wax. Yep. So it's fast. It works. It works. And that was previously a big limitation was like getting that to be a product for you guys. Yep. Is there anything else in that cat? Like, I, I don't know, because I, I only ask because it's not making sense to my brain that more people don't just do this, right? Yeah. That's it. Like, it's as simple as that. To me, it's like, it, it should be a thing that more people, not that I'm trying to like muddy your market here, but <laughs> I, I, I think you guys have an opportunity here where like you guys can, you guys should be in every fucking ski shop in the US. Like you guys should be the go-to wax if this is what you're doing. Yeah. And we're seeing it more and more. Like, yeah. the more people we talk to, the more people like our product. Yeah. Like, so it's just about getting the word out. Yeah. And, like, even before this conversation, like, you probably weren't fully up to speed on all the ins and outs of wax yeah. and plants and petroleum and floras. Like, no. And, like, you're in, you know, you're deep in the industry. Deep, for sure. And, like, no idea, like, that it's a problem other than, like, a couple years ago, like, somebody had told me, like, florals are bad for the environment. I was like, okay. Sure. Like, and then you hear it more and more and more and you're like looking into it and you're like, yeah, all right. Like this makes a lot of sense. Why are we still using it? So I don't know. We, we, for example, we worked, we worked with Pearl in the past and like yeah. that, the reason we did was because we were like, okay, we, we care and we like what they're doing, right? They're offering a product that is somewhat sustainable and, and better than a Swix, you know, right. like, and that's kind of why, I don't know, this conversation is important to me because this kind of stuff is what changes the way that people look at their gear, right? Because they start looking at their wax, then they start looking at their boots, then they start looking at their jacket, like, and they start looking at new ways that kind of reduce their carbon footprint. And it actually creates something that people care about. Yeah. So a hundred percent. And like, you know, Pearl is great and we need more companies like them yeah. to get people to have this conversation. Yeah. Like, but why the heck am not using your wax already. Why isn't everyone not using your wax or a pearl or another right, right. eco product? Um, so hopefully more people get on board. Yeah, for sure. Um, Peter, where can people find you on social, Mountainfall on social, the whole deal, the website? I'm assuming you guys do direct-to-consumer and specialty retail. So where can people find stuff? Yep. Yeah, so uh, mountainflow.com, all of our stuff's available there. We are at Mountain Flow Eco X on the Insta. 
um, and we are in ski and snowboard shops around the country and around the world. Cool. So check there first. If you can't find it, hit us up on uh, mountainflow.com. I love that answer. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you've seen us running around all week, um, you might have noticed that we got some fresh new kits uh, from the people at Memut. Um, Memut offers, uh, in my opinion, the best um, gear for alpine adventures, for alpine touring, for just having a good time in the backcountry with your friends or skiing the resort. Um, Adam X and I both just got full kits and Ethan too. Um, we're running like the energy pant, which is like the one that has the full side zip, super lightweight, easy, breathable. Um, that's kind of been my go-to touring pant. Um, and then I'm running the La least, um, shell, just like a hard shell, Gore-Tex pro. I mean, all the bells and whistles, super Gucci. I'm, I'm in love with it. So, uh, be sure to check out more from Memoot on their website. And you can also check out, uh, their Instagram at Memoot NA, uh, from Memoot North America. Christian, tell people who you are a little bit about yourself and then, uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm Christian Avery. I'm the, uh, product manager for the U S and Canada for Blizzard skis and Technica ski boots. Cool. How, uh, how'd you get that job? How, do, how does one, how does one become a product manager? <laughs> it's a good question. And I don't think I, I necessarily found the, the say traditional track. If there is a traditional track, I, um, I kind of knew I wanted to work in the, in the ski industry in some capacity or another, um, even when I was in high school. So kind of going through high school and then into college, uh, I was able to actually make a connection with, um, with the president of Blizzard and Technica, um, Sam Cook at the time. He offered me while I was in college an, an internship on the supply planning side of the house, like kind of doing the forecasting and production mm. planning and, and, and those sorts of things. Um, but through that basically acknowledged or, or, or recognized that, you know, product was much more my interest and, and ultimately passion and area for expertise and, and wanted to grow in that direction. So, um, starting right out of college was able to become the full-time supply planner. And then after two years of doing that initially for Nordica and then for uh, blizzard Technica and Nordica all together in the second year, um, got offered the product manager position initially just for the U S and then, uh, in year two, there picked up Canada as well. So now I'm four years in and two countries and two lines. Oh man, that's uh, it seems like a headache if I'm being honest, especially <laughs> uh, especially given the current world situation. It seems uh, stressful to say the least. There's uh, yeah, no lack of lack of things to do ever, but uh, yeah, <laughs> certainly having a, a border closure makes the the Canadian portion uh, a good bit more challenging. For sure. Um, before we, yeah, I didn't even think about that part. Holy shit. Um. <laughs> Before we get into like some actual gear, what do you have going on behind you? Do you just have a bunch of random little tools? And is that a fork on a magnet bar right now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We got the magnet behind us and we've got everything from posi drivers to the uh, the lunch fork right there. And then in the very back corner, so Blizzard Technica not too long ago, uh, stopped doing race. So I got my pair of uh, Town Series downhill skis and then uh, the last asymmetric spur we did. So we got awesome. a collection of goodies back there. That spur is fucking cool. I got one of them hidden away too. It's exactly like, you know, as soon as we made a change to the, uh, the new spur that we have now, it's like, ah, I think I need to hold on to one of these. It's funny. Like it's not a ski. I don't even think I ever mounted it. I I'm actually pretty positive. I never even, I know I never skied it. I, there's just no snow in new England for it. And I hardly, if I travel with skis, I try to travel with the light stuff, but yeah. it's, uh, it's just interesting, man. I mean, that ski is always, it's been a staple in the line for a while, but it's not one I imagine blizzard moves very many, uh, 
many units of. No, and it's definitely a tough one to validate in the East here. Like, uh, yeah, like you're saying, I'm in the East as well, so that that's a tough one to have. Uh, you know, break glass for a rainy day. Did you uh, did you ski this morning? I didn't this morning, but I I got after a pretty good yesterday. Well, you too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about texting you and asking you if you wanted to do it earlier because I was burnt. I was like, there's no way that I'm going, I'm going out again. I went out twice yesterday uh, morning and, uh, and night tour. So it was, uh, it was, it was enough. I'm, I woke up and I was shot. And I'm like, well, just Exactly. Do. That's, that's exactly the program I was on yesterday. And even watching, watching football last night, I was like, there is no way I'm going out for more <laughs> tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'm doing anything. Um, all right. So let's talk about uh, let's one, let's kind of talk through the current line a little bit. Um, we won't spend too, too much time on it because I think people are pretty familiar with it. I, it's one of the most successful ski lines in skiing overall. You got Black Pearl, you got Brahma, you got Bonafide, you got Rustler. I mean, you could not, it's funny when I talked to Justin last year, I was like, why isn't anything changing? And he was like, why would we change anything? Everything's working. <laughs> and that's a good answer. I I'm glad that this year there are some changes coming because I think you, whenever there's a successful line you run the risk of running it too long and it becoming stale. Um, so first, the first thing I want to ask you about on that topic, not that I'm suggesting that it's stale because it's a bestseller uh, across the globe. Um, Black Pearl, what what's the story? Has anything changed? Um, did anything change last year to this year? Is anything changing this year to next year um, other than cosmetic? And if not, why not? Yeah, Black Pearl is probably the best example uh, of what you're talking about right there with uh, a super successful name and franchise of skis for us that's almost defined Blizzard for almost a decade at this point. And, you know, I think it's going on year four or five of the the number one selling ski in the world, regardless of that being a, a men's ski, women's ski, junior ski, anything like number one sold ski at this point. And yeah, I mean, even in the internal conversations we have, we're always kind of like waiting for waiting for people to move on and like find something else that's sweet as, you know, trends change, people's change, people's preferences change for whatever. But for us, it's, it continues to be amazing how successful it is. And we're certainly honored that it that it continues to be that way. And it's through no no lack of work of making sure that we're trying to keep it as as current and updated with uh, with everything that we see going on uh, as much as possible. So it was Brand new in uh, 2021 uh, with all new molds, all new side cuts, uh, all new core constructions, everything kind of spearheaded by uh, Leslie Baker Brown, who's our, our director of our Global Women to Women program. Um, so her and her team really did a lot of work um, in collaboration with obviously the, uh, our product managers in Europe to uh, figure out what exactly that now fourth edition of that ski needed to be when at the time when it was brand new in 2021 there. Um, so it carried forward uh, from 2021 to 21, 22, mostly for uh, global pandemic reasons of like questions around were people even going to want to buy products and, and go skiing last winter. So right. kind of took the, the safe approach on that one for uh, 22, 23 here. Um, we've both refreshed the, the entire graphical approach to that whole line. Um, as well as adjusted the uh, the core profiles of those skis a little bit. So the the high cut or the thickness of the wood cores has come down in the 88, as well as the the 97, and then a little bit in 82, but not as much as either of the other two models there. Mostly just following trends that we're seeing in the industry as far as people wanting a little bit more versatile, more playful type of skis. So again, responding to to things as we hear them, and and yeah, trying to keep Black Pearl. Uh, you know, at the top of the pile for as long as we possibly can. It's so ridiculous to me. Like it's to me, and this again, this is no offense intended. This is the most boring ski for me to sell in the entire world because people walk in and they go, I would like a black pearl, please. 
and they leave with it. There is nothing. There's no question. There's no like, let's talk about it. If somebody knows they want one, they want one. Right. It's and easy, huh? it's, so, yeah, exactly. Maybe boring, maybe easy is a better word, but I don't know which is more offensive. So I, I pick boring um, because it's just from a sales perspective. It's like you want to have a little fun with it sometimes. And you're like, you know what? This is the ski that I as a salesperson don't have to do anything for. Right. It kind of sells itself. And honestly, it set the standard for a long time when it comes to when you talk about a ski that is versatile, that does everything, especially for something that's in New England. Right. Um, where we want that like 88 to 90 maybe 95 underfoot ski that's kind of like that sweet spot for new england to do whatever um whatever train mm -hmm. um so that ski's been great um i don't want to harp on that thing too too much um what what have we got new going into 2022 on the ski side so in general on the ski side uh a lot of our focus was centered around what you might describe as the the walking world so basically every set of skis that we would consider goes uphill uh, in one fashion or another. And that's all the way from uh, our freeride skis, Rustler and Shiva that we've had for a little while that, you know, arguably I would, I would call those resort skis that people maybe put a shift or a Duke PT or, or something else on, but are really like 90% of the time they're focused on being in resort chairlift access type of skiing. Um, what we added to the line was actually bridging a little bit of gap, a gap that we recognized in our own line between those skis and our zero G skis. So the traditional touring skis, uh, if you will. So, the project uh, or the, the collection of skis is called Hustle. Uh, it's an 11, 10, and 9. And it was the, the product of a lot of discussion and a lot of conversation amongst both our athletes as well as what we were witnessing going on in the, uh, the industry. And, and, and it came about from talking to some of the athletes like, say, uh, Hillary Nelson or Adrian Ballander, who come from that sort right. of classic touring mindset of saying, well, you know, uh, the zero G skis are absolutely awesome. They check all the boxes on the weight side of things, but I want a wider one. I want to be being able to ski bigger mountains or softer snow in uh, some of the places they go to. And then comparing that to some of the feedback that we get from, say, uh, the Marcus Castens of the world, the Connerys, the Cates, the Elises, that, you know, they're they're walking to lines, uh, whether they're filming or shooting or, or doing whatever. Uh, but their focus is less on weight as a product or a tool to to get someplace and more like i need a ski that walks efficiently but then enough gas to to get down the line that i actually want to ski so for right. for us hustle was the answer to kind of bridge the gap between free ride and, and touring with a collection of skis that sort of have some uh free ride mindset to them so they're using the same rocker profiles and, and shapes as uh as Russell and shiva but with a little bit more weight sensibility if you will so there's no metal in those skis we adapted the the uh, DRT technology, which is the, the metal sheet that's in the Rustlers and Chivas, into a carbon fiber sheet into those skis. And then, okay. of course, we used a, a true blend wood core in those as well, because that's obviously something we've been keenly focused on the last couple of years is using that wood core technology in every last place that we can we can possibly use it. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are very good at buzzwords over there at, uh, at <laughs> for sure. Um, so uh, it, are we worried about and I guess. My only question is, is this too close to a rustler and is it close enough to a zero G? Um, because flex pattern wise, it's much closer to a rustler than it is a zero G, right? If you just flex it on the wall, obviously I haven't skied it yet. I'm, I'm holding a pair right now that's not mounted. So take everything I say with a grain of salt until I go out and tour with it. I was going to do it yesterday, but uh, MLK weekend did not allow for such a thing to happen. Um, <laughs> are we... Is it close enough to that lightweight category? And is it far enough away from a rustler? It's a super fair question. It's one of the things we we sort of agonized over of like we've built this uh, this foundation of the strength with Rustler and Chiva, 
um, and this identity within Blizzard. So the last thing we'd want to do is introduce a line of skis that that compromise that or diminish that into a you know say lighter weight or lesser performing execution. There for us, it's it's really kind of recognizing that there's a, there's a tool for every job, right? Like if the person wants a a resort ski that's going to be able to hold up in the in the uh, cruddy conditions or not necessarily perfect snow every day, like you need metal in your ski. That's that's sort of the fundamentals of everything. So that's where we see Russell and Shiva playing in. Hustle splitting that upright of having some uh, weight sensibility, but still, let's say, integrity or, or real enough of a ski that you can ski that line in the backcountry that you want to. And then zero G, like to me, it's far enough away from a zero G because you've definitely made some some weight intentions with that type of ski and let's say right. some trade-offs to, to hit that weight profile. So, I mean, to your point, what you're asking about uh, Hustle is that it's not super close to a zero G from a weight standpoint, like it's it's a good bit heavier. It's only 250 grams lighter than a uh, an inline rustler, like a, a nine to a nine, for example. Okay. Um, but the main thing, as I would describe, is that like top end speed, that that maximum performance. You're gonna just be better suited for for you know resort all condition skiing with a rustler versus a a hustle that's more of a dedicated soft snow or backcountry mm -hmm. ski. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, I don't think there's a problem with having stuff that's super specific. I actually I actually find it valuable for brands of the size of a BlizzTech, and I actually like last year was praising Fisher for doing the same thing with that Transalp boot because it closes the gap so tightly that they have everything to offer from super light to medium light to light light to you know you kind of close everything so it's so tightly packaged that everybody has a specific thing that will work best for them, and, and it's similar to the bike world in a lot of ways, right? Uh, like, for example, I sell a lot of Santa Cruz's. When you sell Santa Cruz, it's like, okay, models, everything from a tall boy 5010 up through a Nomad are almost exactly the same fucking bike minus 10%, you know? Like, mm -hmm. it's minus or plus 10% depending on what you're doing, right? Anybody could ride any one of those bikes and do whatever they wanted to. And I think we're starting to get to that same category in skiing where it's not like, oh, I brought the wrong ski. It's just like, this is what I do 80% of the time. The 20%, the ski will still be appropriate for. Yeah, I think you're making the exact right point of like, sometimes there's a an area where you get to a place where you're splitting hairs, but then there's also a, a right tool for the job. And I do think skiing in particular is a, a quiver-based sport in some ways that if you can, like you want to have the right tool for the job to go do whatever it is you're you're, you're planning on doing that day. Um, and no metal in the ski at all, right? So it's just a, in the mounting area, I see like this black strip. I'm assuming that's just a, sh a full sheet of carbon for binding retention. You've got a full sheet of carbon that that plays a little bit to the the um, stiffness underfoot as well as the torsional softness in the tip and tail. You do still have a mounting plate in there to make it a G14195. Okay. Perfect. That's kind of what I was hoping you'd say. Um, I, I love it. I think it's a super simple line. I'm I'm very excited to go ski it. I like that it has the little notch on the bottom for skins. I think that's very intelligent. I actually was like, when I saw this, when or when I heard about this coming out a few months ago, I was like, not sure if this was going to replace Rustler um, or if it was just going to go kind of in its own category. And I think talking to you now, I'm, I'm glad it's going in its own category. I think it just, it, it makes more sense for what you guys are starting to offer um it's which is funny it's like you guys are starting to really go with that trend of making more uphill capable equipment right and making a more versatile product line it, it exactly and it's also a little bit answering to to your your point that you're making on black pearl there we're like trying to look for opportunities to to introduce new personas to the blizzard collection there that have their own identity and and are a little bit different than everything else there so yeah, having a new name, having a new persona that for us is trying to 
trying to speak to maybe a um, uh, a consumer profile or someone we haven't been talking to in a little bit there, which is that super early riser that's going to get some laps in before they go to their their nine to five job. Like that guy might be a zero G guy, but more than likely he's probably going to have some more fun on a hustle. So again, yeah. trying to trying to put something in there that like speaks directly to that person. Very cool. Um, well, I'm gonna skip. I'll let you know what I think. Not that, not that it matters. It's being made, and I'm definitely uh, <laughs> very low on the totem pole of people who will ski this thing to its maximum capability. But um, nonetheless, I'll let you know uh, how it goes. I'm excited, honestly. Like just holding it and feeling it and flexing oh. it. It's uh, it's what I hoped it would be. Um, so I'm very, uh, I'm looking forward to it very much. It, it's funny. I actually had a a retailer do a, a test to our skis that I'd never seen before, which was they they picked up a hustle. And they sort of like dropped the tail onto the ground and it went punk and made like a pretty solid noise. And like, that's how I know it's a real blizzard ski. And I was like, I'm not familiar with this test, but I appreciate that it, that it passed it. Yeah, it's true. It's uh, that is the thing I've seen people do to blizzard skis before. And I still don't fully understand what it really means, but like the, the noise is a thing that I've actually had customers <laughs> walk in before and do and pick it up and drop it on the ground. And I think it just stems from that original Brahma or bonafide category where it was like it felt so dense that you could just mm -hmm. hear it like you actually feel it drop like a i don't know like a bag of bricks even yeah, though they're not particularly heavy skis anymore exactly thus far i've taken it as a compliment so i think that's <laughs> i think it's referring to them being solid <laughs> yeah for sure um can i ask is there anything changing with zero g um is anything going on for next year yeah, we updated the Zero G line, um, every single model in the whole collection there. So 85, 95, and 105 all got a, a carbon fiber update. So we've been using a technology called Carbon Drive, which is basically just a, right. a sheet of unidirectional carbon fiber that runs the full length of the ski and then wraps at the tip and tail to create a, a torsion box. So again, I mean, a lot of the thing you're, you're battling with lightweight skis is there is uh, having them be torsionally strong through the turn and not just waffle back and forth and be, be super smeary. Um, what we did was basically take the that same unidirectional sheet of carbon fiber and now it wraps the full length of the ski so we were having a little bit of a say a hinge point uh within the skis there so having the um uh, a little bit more of a balanced flex profile we also took that that layer of carbon fiber we moved it one layer further down in the ski mm -hmm. so it's close to the core um which when you put as many of the the stiff layers closer together versus having that one pretty high up in the the sandwich construction there you also make the skis a little bit softer and more playful too so it's one of those things like the the lifts did not really spin at all in europe last year so they got just about every possible hour of, of testing done on uh zero g skis to kind of figure out the minutia of like swapping layers back and forth within the ski there yeah it's funny uh, some people and i know we're still in selling season so i don't want people to like hear anything i say and think like don't buy a zero it's for some people i know really really love that ski i haven't been a fan of it because i feel like it has that hinge point, right? Like I feel like it is a little inconsistent when you go and you flex it all the way through a turn. It's light, it's stable, which you can't say about a lot of skis that are that light in that category, which is a huge win. But at the same time, consistency of flex is is a thing that can be achieved now in ski design, right? So that's, that's one of the things I was kind of hoping you'd say in terms of what's going to change for that ski going forward. And I think those changes that you mentioned, especially bringing that carbon layer down a level, will probably, probably make that, right? Yep, absolutely. And it, it, it kind of harkens back to, uh, you know, our philosophy with skis in general, but particularly apparent on the on the lightweight ones, which is to kind of bring a performance mindset at a relevant weight. So we're certainly not the lightest touring skis on the market, but trying to yeah. bring a, say, a downhill performance approach, which I mean, we've only been doing true touring skis for about seven years now. And if you remember the, 
the very first zero G ski, like you could bang slalom turns on that thing. Like sure. the, the performance that we went with was maybe not necessarily the best for hop turning down icy coolars. So right. yeah, the, la the last seven years, you know, I would uh, generously describe it as a learning process for us to figure out, you know, what, what Blizzard should be in that lightweight and uphill world. And, and you know, the kind of product that we want to build that, that meets the consumer needs, but also differentiates us too. Like we don't want to just be me too product by any means in that world. Right. And I think there's something to be said for the fact that the market seven years ago was not here in the U.S. the same way that it is now. Right. Everybody and their mother wants to go ski touring. Rightfully so, because it's, it's awesome. It's like it's what allows me to ski as much as I do. Uh, so it's really important that these skis get really good. But seven years ago, nobody, including myself, nobody really gave a shit about this category. It was the niche, like strange. You want to walk up a hill while there's chairlifts. But now <laughs> with lift lines, with access to more terrain, with information more available, but this category, I almost feel like an idiot for not seeing it coming sooner. Um, you know, obviously the last few years, it doesn't even count to me. I think if you didn't see it coming seven years ago, or whatever, like it, the writing was kind of on the wall, I guess is my point. Um, and to your point about it not being the lightest in the category, I don't think it needs to be. Like, why does it need to be, right? I mean, there's like the La Sportivas of the world and like the Dinafits of the world that make that kind of stuff. And to be frank, they're not selling very many of them. So why do we need to why do we need to go into a category in a niche sport that isn't selling any and they don't ski well unless you come out with one that is like super lightweight, you find a new material, right? So I'm not like closing the door on that completely, but we're just not we're just not there. Yeah, certainly need to find some unobtainium for them to ski anywhere near like sure. a, a Russell yeah. or a Shiva or a, or a Bonafide there. Yeah, we did add. Like... Go ahead. Yeah, so I was gonna say we did add a um, a sub thousand gram one, but that matches more with the um the the boot that we're gonna talk about probably in a little bit here. So again, yeah. to your point of like having relevant product in there that that meets a performance mindset, but yeah, the unit expectations for that I would not say are are similar to uh, uh anything else in the zero G line at this point yeah for sure um so let's let's move on to boots a little bit um i will save that peak boot uh probably for last here um because i'm really excited about it and i think it's a good i think it's a good product i've held it in my hands i haven't skied it yet but um it looks it looks legit as fuck uh for lack of a better term uh can you talk to me a little bit about where you're i'm sure you've heard all over the internet people talking about like more consistency and flex offerings for women's boots uh where do you guys stand on that um, in that side of the world, because uh, as you may or may not have heard, the girls from Big Stick Energy did an episode with Matt Manzer from Atomic, yada, 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 130 flexes down to 22.5. Somebody made the point to me the other day, uh, Tori Brooks uh, made the point to me the other day, that it's not necessarily about offering a 130 down to a 22.5. It's offering more flex options the same way that we do for men and not, you know, not dumbing them down, so to speak you know by and k2 i think is the biggest culprit of this and and whether it's to sell more units or not um who knows the like instead of a 130 it's a 125 instead of a 150 or 120 it's a 115 where do you guys stand on this is there a change coming to that sector of the market and can you kind of address some of the concerns that some of the ladies out there might have uh, when it comes to ski boots and flexes yeah, absolutely. And this is where I think I get to stand up a little bit uh, tall and proud about the, the work that, that Leslie Baker Brown has done with the with the women's group, both to, you know, understand the, let's say, outreach marketing uh, side of the, the world there for, for women's products in our world, but also like the product performance and the product insights and what we need to actually be making to, to meet the needs of everyone from Elise Sogstead down to the, you know, the, the weekend warrior that's only going to ski a, a couple times throughout the entire year there. So 
for us, I mean, we've uh, we've set up our product line a little bit different than I think a lot of other manufacturers, um, and not for a simplicity's sake. I mean, we've got women-specific boots all the way through the whole line that have their own dedicated cuffs, which is certainly an investment, as well as their own dedicated liners and liner materials all the way through. So there's not a ton that's actually shared other than the, the specifically the lower shells between, say, the, the men's boots and the women's boots. So we've got pretty much two unique lines of, of product all the way through there. So that's both in uh, the Mach 1 world, so uh, LV, MV, and HV, as well as the Cochise world and even the Zero G world. So every single uh, category of boots from Technica, if you will, has a, a women-specific offering there. So specifically to the, the flex points, that's one we've been working on a good bit the last couple of years is where are opportunities to uh, create a stronger or even stiffer uh, boot in the line there. So when we did redid the, the Cochise boots last year uh, and launched the 3.0 version of those, we added a, a women's Cochise Pro and 120 flex at the, the top end there, um, which was kind of a cherry on top of, of that collection responding directly to the feedback that we'd heard that was, you know, 105 is simply not enough in a, in a dedicated women's boot there. Um, and then likewise, it's offering every single one of the models. So every single women's boot down to a true 22 for next year. So that's been the case in all the, the mock boots. They go down to true 22s. That's been the case in the, uh, the Cochise boots going down to true 22 for a year now. And then for next year is adding the, uh, the zero G boots in both the, uh, the top end tour pro flex all the way down to the, um, the 105 flex there uh, down to the true 22s as well. So yeah, it's it's certainly not um, a simple battle, but it's one that uh, I'm really excited to kind of like praise the women's group for, you know, staying really consistent with their messaging of that being a need and and how we can actually deliver upon that in the in the boot line there. Yeah, and I, I, I keep kind of harping on this because I, I stand somewhere in between, right, where I don't necessarily think, I, I don't feel that I need a 130 flex boot most of the time, right? Like a true 130 flex, there's so much inconsistency in the flex of boots, right? And I'm sure you're fully aware of this where it's like you're a zero G pro or, and uh mock and uh, I don't know, whatever else coaches are not going to be the same flex, even if they're numbered the same, right? Like that's, totally. they just, they're not going to feel the same. They're just rated the same within a boot line. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to phrase that to customers. It's like flex is not even consistent within a boot company. It's just a, guideline within a boot like within a product or a model line specifically right and that's where people kind of have to do their own research and kind of have to go ski stuff for themselves and my recommendation to people is always 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 do the research for yourself try a bunch of stuff on if you can i mean it's not nobody cares if you're the annoying customer that comes in and tries on 20 boot i don't care personally and a shop to me shouldn't care you should find the right product for you and I'm sure there's a bunch of shops like screaming, pulling their hair out. But you also <laughs> should be open to listening to whoever's on the other side of you, right? If you go to a shop and you feel like that person is confident and knows what they're talking about, it's worth listening to their experience in a way that is helpful to you, right? Because I know, I can tell you, like there's some boots on the wall that I'm very aware of have issues in terms of flex and are softer than other 120 flexes, for example. So there's a, there's a fine line between listening to everybody and uh doing your own research and kind of like it, i i feel like so many consumers want this like quick i need a 130 answer they want this like simple one-liner and it, it's just not there you gotta remember you're buying a six seven eight hundred nine hundred dollar product right you're spending a lot of money so that also in turn should require some research and some background and some investment on on the consumer end as well um as the retailer end or on the you know on the wholesaler end too 
Yeah, unfortunately, I think in a lot of ways, the 130 flex has gotten just equated to, quote unquote, the best, because usually that's the, the oh, top no. boot in the line. Uh, oh. When, you know, the point you're making is that, you know, it, it, it takes asking the question first of what flex do you actually need? And more importantly, like, you know, are you a 130 in a Technica, but then a, a 120 in another right. manufacturer, for example, like, it isn't necessarily a universal uh, rule of how one thing flexes to to another. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just going to emphasize the point that you made that the ultimately having a, a kid on the floor shop employee that knows what they're doing and wants to spend the time to like work through exactly your needs is absolutely invaluable, and that's the relationship that you should make not just for the uh, the one time of the boot, but like a relationship going forward. Like have that conversation about how it went, what you'd be looking for in your next pair of boots, and and on and on. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's uh, that's one of the most important things is is making sure that you actually have boots are, as we know, the most important thing when it comes to your ski gear. Like that is that is the core of everything you do in skiing. If you have boots that don't fit or don't work for you, you're going to have a bad time no matter what. Some people are blessed with feet that don't have issues, but uh, <laughs> I'm not one of them. I, I imagine you're not one of them. And most nope. most people are not. <laughs> Um, Too many years of living in a plug race boot to have sure. without problems. Sure. <laughs> um, can I ask one more thing on this topic before we move to peak? Um, why don't manufacturers, and I understand price point, I'm sure this is the easy answer. Why don't manufacturers invest more in liners, right? Because that to me is why people end up in 130 boots and don't buy a 130 boot because it's like it's pushed as the Gucci high end we want this one right and it's got the better liner for example you guys have that cas liner and it's built out it's beautiful right but the hundred flex one doesn't so if it's somebody that needs a hundred flex they don't get the same liner opportunity that someone does with a 130 flex so a lot of people end up buying the nicer boot because it comes with all the extra bells and whistles mm -hmm. what is there any validity to that to like making a boot line that is I don't know, more consistent, like the, the certain quality of product, especially in something like a mock, for example. And I'm just going to pitch this to you as like a blanket. This is what I, I was thinking about this for a while last night as I was like kind of prepping for this conversation. Like what if mock was just 100 through 130 and like these are the offerings and they're all the same in terms of quality, right? And obviously price points can go up and I don't know how reasonable this is, but to me, all three, all four, however many flexes you want to put in that category should be the same. And then if you want to go to mock sport, for example, you get the comfort options, you get the price point options, and then people can kind of choose their own game. But I feel like those people that actually do would benefit from a hundred flex boot or 110 or 120 lose out sometimes because they don't get the bling bling that the 130 has. Yeah, I think it's a, it's exactly the challenge you're talking about as far as making the the bringing the technologies from the very high end all the way through the whole collection there, which is why we've tried to make that distinction in, in Mach 1 being high performance and from 110, 120, 130, like those all have CAS liners, obviously to a little bit different degree for for each one of them. The 130 liner is different right. from the, the 110 liner. But then we try to basically like have the narrative of in Mach Sport World there, so 100 flex and and down like the priorities of, I, in in our opinion anyways have shifted at that point to much more comfort and and convenience so looking for uh, a softer liner and a little bit more ease of entry into the boot a little bit you know maybe more warmth uh priority than the guy who's who's going purely for performance at the top end there and yeah. specifically with us i mean we we work really closely with uh with our group of boot fitters project 165 to try and tow that balance of you know where's the performance where's the customization uh and then where's the like convenience and comfort and and you know fit right out of the box there so for us it, i mean i think we probably invest some of the most of of any brand in, in the liners i would like to proudly say as far as the 
yeah. amount of uh, focus and attention we pay to those specifically with both CAS and the shape out of the box and being able to punch, grind, mold, do whatever you need to to those liners. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm very familiar with with sitting in the shop and watching that experience where the guy's a 120 flex skier and, you know, he really wants the uh, the 130 flex one there and you either have to figure out how to make the 130 flex like a 120 or, or tell him like, hey man, like, you know, maybe we should just be in the 120 today. <laughs> it's a hard thing because it's ego driven in a lot of ways. And we talk about this with DIN settings a lot recently on the show. But I uh, and I, I only brought that up because I think you guys do the best job at separation between Mock Sport and Mock. It, it is a little confusing. And honestly, initially when it came out, I was like, I hate all of you. Like, because the boxes are all labeled the same, and you go and you're like, I got a Mach 120, and you go and it's not a Mach 120, it's a Mach Sport 120, you know, and it was just like, in the beginning, it was confusing, you guys have cleaned it up a ton, I give you guys all the credit in the world, and I probably should be giving you the credit, but it's uh, it's great, I'm, I'm super, I'm happy with the way the separation is, I guess I kind of just have to ask that question, because so many people end up buying a boot they don't need because they want that premium level product, right? So. Mm -hmm. It's a super fair question, especially where, where we've set it up a good bit different than I think much of the industry where, you know, um, Mach 1 is an entire family of boots, LVMV yeah. and HV. And the goal being that you can walk into a shop and be a 120 flex skier. And, you know, regardless of whether you have an LV foot or an HV foot, like the shop employee can find the boot that's right for you, which is right. uh, at the same price, same technology, same package all the way between. 98 100 and, and 103 which is certainly different but exactly to your point like that that also creates some confusion and challenge when you're looking Initially, for i was really mad like i was not happy i was like <laughs> we're not buying any more technical boots because i go back there and there's an lv mv hv i'm so confused i have no idea what's going on and honestly at a certain point you just have to own it and be like look that's on me as the boot fitter because i need to like be aware of what we have i need to be aware of how many boot but it, it made it complicated for a minute, but it's been cleaned up. It's simplified. Um, I think people kind of get my point at this uh, at this juncture. Um, last thing I want to talk about is you guys have a brand new boot uh, called the Peak. Um, mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what that is, why it exists now, what's different about it. Is it a skiable touring boot, uh, lightweight <laughs> touring boot? Because that is, a, uh, as you know, a very valid question when it comes to lightweight touring boots um what's what's the story yeah i think i would almost maybe start with uh our zero g tour boots the 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 ones we've had for a couple of years now like yep. those have become from you know year one uh seven or eight years ago where uh similar to the, what we were talking about with the skis like we kind of started in one place and quickly learned we needed to be in another um right the latest round that we've had here with the zero g tour pro at the very top there like our, our approach to that world was trying to be at a relevant weight, so 1,300 grams in that Tor Pro, but really just trying to bring maximum level downhill performance into a, that relevant weight there. And at this point, I mean, that Zero-G boot, obviously, like, what happened across the pond there with lifts not spinning last year and everybody, you know, who wanted to go skiing only had to had to go uphill if they wanted to do it. That right. that boot has become pretty pretty impactful for us at this point. So Zero-G peak was was – us looking at that market, looking at the walking world in general, and feeling that we could bring some of the same best ofs that we felt like we did in the Zero-G Tour line to an even lighter uh, section of the market there. So now talking about sub-thousand gram boots and, and similar to everything else, they're like trying to check that box of like, yes, we're, we're 350 grams lighter than the Zero-G Tour Pro there. So we've crossed that sub-thousand gram threshold. But again, how do we bring a performance mindset to, to this section of the market here that exactly like you said at the very top, like typically 
weight and walkability are the number one things. And then you're looking to survive on the way down. What we <laughs> wanted to do was, right. was be able to make a boot that like you could genuinely uh, enjoy the way down. Like you, you get to where you're going. You're not restricted in any means whatsoever. Like weight is a tool to meet the need of getting to that, the top of that mountain or that summit or wherever. And the walkability is the ability to make it to, to there without having to fight the boot the whole way. But then like you walked for who knows how long to get to that place. Like you want to have a boot that actually performs and can drive some ski on the way down. So right. what we did was try to bring some of those best ofs. Like we did an overlap design in that boot as much as possible. Most most manufacturers who are doing sub thousand gram product like to save weight are, are using pretty much an open front uh, portion of the boot there. So just kind of covering it up with a, a gator and a boa over the top and ratcheting the whole thing down, which um, certainly aids in the walkability, but is really hard to control the flex of the boot at that point, mm. uh, as well as the fit there. So knowing that overlap boots uh, from the rest of our Alpine collection of the of Technica just ski better. Like that's how World Cup boots are made. Like there's there's not really much beating a, a traditional four buckle overlap boot there. Try to do that as much as possible with the uh, the peak there as well. What that actually forced us to do was then glue the gator from the inside of that boot, which instead of having it glued over the top with that BOA system, we had to go from the inside and glue it there, which forced us to actually make a pretty significant hole in the uh, the, the bottom of the shell there to get in there and, and glue the liner from the inside, um, which we then actually just cover up with a piece of bi-directional carbon fiber, which again, basically then helps with the uh, the torsional rigidity of the boot. So one uh one problem you might say that was created with go created with going with an overlap design then led to the uh the opportunity to to stiffen the boot up on the sole there a little bit the yeah. other was using that walk mechanism that we've we've done in the, the zero g tour boots that double blocking one that opens that that hinge point way up high and both creates a really strong lever arm when you're actually flexing the boot uh, but also like can fully clear itself out of the way so disengage the top lever as well as the the lower lever there to have as much range of motion and walkability with this boot as as possible and i mean uh, honestly speaking like we're pretty pretty excited about what this project has actually turned into for us i mean we've been working on it for something like five years now like knowing we wanted to build a sub thousand gram boot and, and trying to figure out exactly what the the right way to go about doing that is and and at this point i mean we're we're pretty excited we're hoping that it brings uh it shakes up the game a little bit the same way that the zero G tour did. I think that changed people's perception of, of what was actually possible in a say 1300 ish gram boot, as far as how much ski they could drive, where they could get to in a boot that still allowed them to enjoy the down. And I don't think this ever will replace say heavier boots. Like the, the more mass you can put into a boot, the more performance you can get out of it. But I think right. it certainly changes the amount of ski that you can bring in uh, to the backcountry or way up to a, a mountain that's pretty far away. So in terms of compatibility with this boot, and and I don't want to discount anything you just said because I think that's uh, that's great. That's exactly what this boot is is made for, and and I'm glad you guys have it because this is something you guys were kind of missing in the category, especially having set the standard in my opinion for that medium weight touring boot or that medium lightweight touring boot in the zero G. That was for a while the standard that all the other medium ones were you know, compared against same thing with coaches. I mean, you guys have done a great job at launching these products that people and people being other brands will then compare what they have to. So I think you have a lot of, uh, or a big set of shoes to fill, so to speak, uh, with this peak boot. So hopefully it's kind of in the same category, but what, what kind of ski is that boot designed for just so people kind of get a grip on this thing? I mean, can that boot drive a ski like a hustle, for example? 
Yeah, it's a super fair question. I mean, obviously, we're, we're moving into a space that's been owned by a lot of other uh, brands that have been in, in the space for a heck of a lot longer than, than Technica has. I mean, we mentioned uh, Fisher uh, at one point here, like they're, they've done an amazing job in this category right. for a long time. Same with Scarpa, same with Atomic. Like, it, it, we're absolutely the new kids on the block when it comes to some thousand grand products. So that's why, I mean, again, we tried to try to bring something a little bit different here into this world. And Honestly, to, to compare it to the skis, I think it actually clarifies our ski line a little bit. I mean, we were almost having the the problem in some sense, like a Zero-G Tour Pro is kind of a lot of boot for like a Zero-G 85 ski. So sure. where I'm yeah. kind of viewing this is that like the Zero-G Tour kind of moves more into that hustle world than maybe like a Zero-G 105. Well, the peak is going to take from that lightweight 80 ski all the way up through that 105 there with a little bit of crossover. To be honest, I've skied it on a Hustle. It it does a fine job. It's definitely a lot of ski for that boot, so it gets the job done. But uh, you know, a big thing that happens in the the sub thousand gram world is trying to find happy packages where the the boot is working with the ski, and likewise. And that one, I would say, is a little bit advantage ski on that one compared to the boot. Little little suspect. I and that's. I, but I think it's important to talk about because you're releasing two things right now, and the two new things that are coming out are not necessarily correlating where. And everybody does this, by the way, and it's not your guys' fault, but it drives me fucking insane. Just like name the boot and the ski, the fucking same. Like Fisher did it too, <laughs> where they put the medium lightweight boot and they didn't line it up with the medium lightweight ski. And then I'm just ripping my hair out trying to remember <laughs> which one is which. And you guys do the same thing and it's fine. Everything's fine. And on the gaming topic, by the way, I think there's a huge miss on hustle uh because we should have called it hustler i think but <laughs> i uh, i really think it would have sold better but i don't i don't know maybe people will tell me that i'm just a youth and i'm uh, i'm i'm incorrect in that category as well but who, well who maybe we can maybe we can find some way to some uh r stickers for you and you can uh, i am yes i already that. have sharpied r on the bottom of my ski <laughs> it's, uh, it's done i'm done. like i'm fine personally i i'm good but uh i think uh, i think a very good marketing technique and maybe this is a a conversation we should have with Frank is printing out a bunch of R's and giving them away at clinics next year. Uh, <laughs> and I think that that is a marketing campaign of the year. Um, so uh, I'm a hundred percent down for it. I think it would be funny. <laughs> I, I think it would be very funny. Add a little blizzard logo to the end, Frank, uh, please take this and run with it. Um, anyway, Christian, uh, thank you for your time. If, uh, if people want to hit you up, ask you questions, uh, talk about product, can they hit you on email? Can they hit you on the gram? What's, uh, what's the best way to get you? Yeah. Instagram is probably the, uh, the, the best method, which is, uh, at C Avery 43. Um, I'm not private on, uh, on Instagram, so you can just directly follow and then, uh, yeah, shoot me a DM and I'll try to get back to you as, uh, as quickly as possible. So yeah, I, I super appreciate being on here, man. Like you've had a lot of way cooler people than myself on, so it's a it's an That's honor to be here. And everybody's the to same to me. Everybody's <laughs> except for Seth Morrison. Everybody's the same to me. So really, it really doesn't matter. Um, well, I appreciate the time, dude. Awesome, thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed the episodes. Uh, it was a great week. I'm glad we got to spend some time out in Colorado. I'm glad we got to, now we're spending some time in Tahoe. Um, if you're around for the next couple of days, if you hear this in time hit us up let's hang out um let's go skiing let's do some stuff um we uh yeah we've got a lot of stuff i can't share anything right now but we got some stuff coming and it's gonna be sick so until next week see you later